I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom throwing a shrimp on the Barbie bionic. People couldn't even understand you laughing. Tom throwing that. a shrimp on the Barbie bionic. Yeah. I don't know why that was You so were funny. making a stereotypical remark about our guest because he's Australian, yes, right? Yes, I, I, actually I was. I yeah. can't lie. And basically exposing the limited understanding of geography I've by Americans and other cultures. I've done been learned in ninth grade. Okay. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a great show this week. Regardless of our co-host, we have Gary Bates, who is CEO of Creation Ministries International Worldwide mm-hmm. and happens to be a, uh, a citizen, a resident of Australia, and one of our longest distance guests that we've had on Future Quake, talking about the impact of evolution in society, the church, and our perception of the UFO phenomenon. Uh, keeping up with our theme of UFOs in the spring. And he's also going to be a speaker alongside yours truly at the Ancient of Days Conference in Roswell. So we need to hurry up and go let's, to that. Let's just go with, into it. With no further ado, uh, here's Brother Gary Bates, and then we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, gosh, no middle name bionic. No middle name bionic. Not, uh, today, I don't have a middle name. Well, I bet you will before too long. Give us some we've, time. Give we've got time. a great discussion that we're going to have this week with our special guest, Gary Bates, who's the CEO of Creation Ministries International Worldwide. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the impact of evolution on society, the church, and our perception of the UFO phenomenon. And we know that we wouldn't miss the UFO phenomenon, given that this has been the spring of UFOs here on FutureQuake. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, leading up to the... Uh, the Great Ancient of Days Conference in Roswell. So, Mr. Bates, I just want to tell you it's an honor to have you on the Future Quake program as uh, one of our most distant guests calling in from the east coast of Australia. That's right. Um, yep, uh, not too early for me, so it's not too bad. It's a pleasure to be uh, on board, and by all means, please call me Gary. Okay, Gary. Uh-huh. Well, I just want you to know that you have supplanted Patrick Heron in Ireland and Peter Goodgame in Hawaii on the Long Distance Award for Future Quake Guests. So now that title belongs to you. That's uh, good. When do uh, I get my trophy? I hope you wear the uh, crown. in the mail. Yeah, it's hope in the mail. you wear the crown <laughs> pro- properly and uh, remember all the rights and privileges that goes with it. Uh, to begin our show tonight, would you share with us a little bit about your personal background and how you came to be inter- interested in the subject of and the affiliation with your current organization? Uh, by all means. Well, I... Uh, young man growing up, I wasn't brought up in a, a Christian home or a Christian family. Uh, we had the small Christian influence, um, you know, at school. Uh, we used to have morning assemblies and we sang prayers and hymns and this type of thing. And really that was the extent of my Christian background. But as a young man growing up, uh, obviously being taught evolution uh, at school, um, and I just make the point there that uh, it's worth realizing that if you've ever been to, through an education system in anywhere like the States or Australia or the UK, it's not a matter of maybe or if, 
people get to hear about evolution, they do get to hear about it. That uh, yeah, everybody, yeah. yeah, that's right. Everybody who's who's ever been educated in a Western country has been exposed to evolution and taught it as fact. So, growing up, um, I struggled in my teenage years and certainly as a young married man with this idea, you know, um, is God really out there? But the theory of evolution was really the thing that said to me the Bible's wrong. That's the only place that we have or understand, have any knowledge about God or particularly God being the creator. Evolution is incompatible with the Bible. Therefore, evolution is true science. The Bible is a book of myth and legend. So, in fact, I actually made a decision that I uh, said that there was there was no God. But uh, shortly after that, um, I saw some of my friends become Christians and they started to challenge me. And they actually challenged me to read the Bible for myself. I became a Christian, but I was still an evolutionist. So immediately I was starting to reinterpret many of the difficult passages in the Bible. And um, it wasn't until I went, went to a creation meeting. I actually went to hear a guy by the name of Dr. Steve Austin, a geologist who used to work with the Institute of Creation Research over in Perth, Western Australia. Yeah, wasn't he also I, the $6 million man? <laughs> what? Yeah, Steve Austin, I believe he was. No, I'm, <clears throat> yeah, I'm sorry. Got the, same, got the same name, but oh, uh, okay. different person. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that really blew me away because he spoke, and we'll, we can mention this a little bit. He spoke about uh, geology that often is interpreted into a millions or billions of years framework that actually could be formed by rapid catastrophic processes within hours and days. And uh, he made a point, of course, which is what we do. Uh, as a creation organization is that, you know, when we look at the facts around us, whether it's geology or fossils, we already have a worldview with which we approach, if you like, the evidence. And based upon our worldview, we interpret that evidence in accordance with our worldview. So, for example, you know, last year I was at the Grand Canyon and I look at the Grand Canyon and I see millions and millions of layers of sedimentary rock. These are very, very fine laminations in the, in the wall of the canyon. Now, Conventional evolutionary geology says those layers take about a year to form each one. And so when you look at the canyon, you might be looking at two billion layers. You could be looking at two billion years of Earth's history. But the reality is, how, how do they actually know that? Do we see layers being formed slowly one at a time? No, we don't. It's actually a belief about the past. And what Steve Austin showed was that at in Mount St. Helens in Washington State, you guys might remember uh, that um, a big event where a volcano exploded, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw in some cases, you know, dozens and dozens of feet, thousands and thousands of layers laid down in just a matter of hours that if we hadn't actually seen, because we'd all been evolutionized and programmed to interpret the evidence in a certain way, if we'd have gone and looked at it later without having seen it laid down, we would have presumed that it would have taken thousands of years to lay down those layers. Yeah. But we know, you know, one area at the steam pit, uh, many thousands of layers was laid down in just three hours. For example. Well, you know, I've, yeah. I've seen many a parfait. Yeah, sorry, I said many a parfait dessert that had a whole number of very interesting layers, one on top of the other. But I never presumed that it took millions of years to prepare that dessert, <laughs> and that's because someone intervened. There was actually an event involved in in doing the process itself. So that's sort of what you're alluding to, right? Uh, we should yeah, not presume right. that we Our have face. infinitesimal <laughs> uh, events that are going on of erosion and sedimentary layers. We know there are cataclysmic events that change local landscapes in an instant. 
w- yeah. whether well, you get into it's intelligent it's design or not, just the fact that natural processes are, tend to be very violent in that respect, correct? Sure, sure. Let, let me give you an example. As a Christian now, my worldview is predicated on the Bible, and I believe the Bible to be you know, God's revelation to mankind. And I can interpret the evidence around me. I can interpret those rock layers, if you like, through a biblical worldview. The Bible tells me that there was a cataclysmic global flood, you know, about four and a half thousand years ago that destroyed the earth. The earth as it was has now perished. It's buried under, you know, thousands and thousands of feet of sedimentary layers when the original, you know, supercontinent, if you like, uh, broke up and, and separated very, very quickly. So, you know, I mean, I could talk for millions of years on this subject. Obviously, we're here to talk about some other things, but that just helps you understand how I was almost programmed from my education to believe in evolution. And as I said, I found that was in, incompatible with the scripture, so I rejected God. Uh, but then later, you know, I actually, uh, through circumstances in my life, I came to accept Jesus Christ, but I find I had to, uh, as the Bible tells us, renew my mind in the way that I look at the world around me. And that led me to work with an organization called Creation Ministries International. Uh, we have offices now in six countries. We produce Creation Magazine. Some of your listeners will have heard of that magazine. That goes to over 170 countries in the world. We have a peer-reviewed technical journal called the Journal of Creation. Our website, creation.com, obviously has many thousands of visitors a day. There's over 32 years' worth of creation research on that. And as an organization, you know, we employ more scientists than any Christian organization in the world anywhere. Wow. And so the reason I mention all of that is to just explain that this is not some small thing. There is a huge wealth and store of information to interpret our Earth, the universe, why we're here, and all the science within a, if you like, a Christian or a biblical framework as well. And, of course, you know, this year is Charles Darwin's 200th birthday, 150 years since the origin of species, and we've just produced a... Uh, a million-dollar documentary called The Voyage That Shook the World, and we've actually retraced Charles Darwin's voyage on the Beagle to South America and the Galapagos, and we examined uh, his views in the light of modern science. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Darwin thought the cell was nothing more than a blob of jelly. You know, we now know that the cell, and particularly if you looked at the DNA molecule in the nucleus of the cell, is a complex information storage mechanism that contains thousands and thousands of books worth of information so uh yeah it's very interesting anyway wow yeah given your background in australia did you find that consuming vegemite actually impeded your ability to understand these matters (laughs) well i've never i've never consumed that stuff so uh, You you never have i thought that they started in the hospital before you you came out of the uh the infirmary there they they began on vegemite they do. We actually uh, do give our children Vegemite from a very, very young age, but uh, and I used to eat it, but I've never been a big fan of it. But I do like uh, giving it to Americans to taste and watch them feel <laughs> over infection. So, uh. Yeah, we've actually banned that at Guantanamo Bay. We're no longer allowed. We just stick to waterboarding now. No Vegemite exposure. <laughs> uh, well, one other question I had, uh, and I'll uh, turn off the smart aleck uh, questions here, but I have to know in your 170 countries are the Faroe islands included in your distribution list i don't know i'd have to have the database in front of me which i haven't got to uh, to let you know but well, uh, i i hope that to be my location yeah. when, when i have to run from the authorities for so. some reason dr future is a huge fan of the Faroe islands and i've never been able to figure it out 
Well, that's that's the place I just need to make sure I get your magazine there. <laughs> yeah, well, if you live there, we can send it to you. That's okay. not a problem. Now, um, your organization and a few others, stateside and elsewhere, focus on this evolution issue uh, and, and try to arm people from an apologetic standpoint for, for the, the Christian community and I guess we would say a ministry even to the scientific community and students. Why should the subject of our origins be so critically important to Christians? Why is it such a big deal? I know this is another one that you could go on for a long time, uh, but if you could just sure. briefly give us some key points on why should it be a priority for us to have this straight in our head. Okay, sure, not a problem. Well, the issue of origins, I mean, there are a lot of issues for the church today. I mean, let me say, you know, there are stem cells and abortion and homosexuality, all these moral issues, if you like, that the church is dealing with. But I believe that the creation evolution issue, if you like, is the issue of all the issues facing the church today because all of these other moral issues stem out of what I call this foundational issue. And quite simply, guys, what you believe about where you came from will affect the way that you live your life. For example, if you think that you are nothing more than an evolved animal, that you're just a, you know, the, the, the blind product of chance random processes over millions or billions of years, then there's no meaning and purpose to your life. You know, why not get rid of uh, spare children? Because, hey, we just get rid of spare cats anyway. So, after all, and if, if think people think they're just evolved animals and there's no creator, then why should they obey any moral laws, if I can call them that, which ultimately have emanated from Scripture in countries like America and, uh, and Australia? Uh, conversely, if you think that God is creator, then there is meaning and purpose to your life. At the end of this life, there will be another life, an eternity, and you'll stand before God to give an account. If you believe, again, that you're the product of evolution, then there is no life after death. And more and more, we see this battle with, with Christians holding up the Bible in society and saying, you can't do this. You know, in the States, you've got the Ten Commandments being thrown out of you know, the steps of courts or out of the courthouses. And because people, people think that the Bible is a, an outdated book of myth and legend. And see, one of the reasons they do that is right back there at the beginning, we've got the book of Genesis. And it tells us right off the bat that in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. So there's the creator who is outside of our space and time who brought the universe into being. And people say because they believe in evolution, well, we know that's wrong. God really can't create in six days. We know that the universe is billions of years old. We know that the earth is four and a half billion years old. Therefore, scripture um, is wrong. And when you think about it, the very reason Christ came to this earth and died that horrible, cruel death on a cross was to save us from our sins and death. And sin and death entered where? In the Garden of Eden. So Christ came to overturn, if you like, the Bible calls him the last Adam. Why? Because there was a real physical, historical first Adam. In time and space, you know, if 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 Genesis is not real literal history, with a, a literal Adam and Eve, a literal Garden of Eden, and if sin did not literally enter the world and cause death, then quite simply, as Christians, if that's not true, we don't literally need to be saved from anything. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. It, it seems to me that there's several key facets, existential facets, that relate to us understanding our origins. One is we are really defined, in fact, our identity is summed up by our relationships. Uh, people typically identify with their parents, uh, what clan they were raised up in, what area they came from. They, people want to have a home and a pedigree. 
that's why oftentimes orphans uh, have great difficulty because they feel detached from their origins. And when we look at things from an eternal nature and look at humanity as a whole, uh, we need to know our identity of who we are, and that means we have to know our relationship to where we came from. Uh, just like we, you know, uh, we so desire to know who our parents, who who bore us, where we came from, and that's true for for humanity as a whole, not just individuals. And I would think also too, understanding our origin is key to understanding if there's in fact a plan for humanity. If we understand th- uh, that there is one who formed us and who is an, an intelligence that uh, had a plan for creation, that was deliberate in the actions that were taken, then that gives meaning and purpose to our individual lives because then we're a piece of the overall plan that, in fact, a creator of humanity would have for his creation. And, in fact, every time each one of us is born, it's, it's in essence, almost a replication of that creation event and the meaning that goes along with it. So, And, and in fact, I think of a, a, a verse... Uh, Jesus, and I, I can't quote it exactly, but to paraphrase, I believe it was when he's in the upper room, and it said something to the effect of, and Jesus, who knew he came from his Father, uh, who had been given all things unto him, and who would soon return to his Father, did thus and so. And it was sort of a parenthetical statement, but in that one phrase, it basically gave the identity, the origins of Jesus, his purpose in life while he was here, and what his destiny was. And I feel like those are the essence of what every man, woman, and child needs and is already in their heart. And if it wasn't something that was already pre-programmed, there wouldn't be such a thirst for it in every person alive around the world. Sure. Well, I believe that, uh, I mean, sin is obviously the problem, but I do believe that a lot of the destructive behavior we see in society, which is really what you're saying, comes from this no meaning and purpose. And I don't think there can be any higher calling or meaning or purpose to anybody's life than to find out who your creator is. I mean, that's it's got to be the ultimate, surely, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. to find that out. Why am I here? Well, uh, c- can you give us a very brief synopsis of what transpired regarding the uh, inspiration for and the intended purpose of the world-changing publication that's most commonly known as The Origin of the Species by Charles Darwin? Uh, obviously, that's where things really kicked into high gear, uh, sort of the seminal work that involves a lot of the research that you do. And there's a lot of details around the the purpose of that publication and ar- ar- surrounding the facts and the people involved that I know a lot of people aren't aware of. Can you share with us a little bit about some of the more intriguing aspects of it? Well, sure. I mean, uh, Darwin is probably famous for his... Um you know, well, the subtitle of the book is Preservation of the Favoured Races by Natural Selection. And natural selection is really a, a real event. We see that going on around us all the time. We can see dogs, you know, gradually change, if you like, into different types of dogs. But the point is they'll always remain dogs. And uh, we see variation within the created kinds, in people kinds, in horse kinds, in frog kinds, and whatever you like. But Darwin proposed that those changes multiplying over millions and millions of years could ultimately turn, you know, frogs into human beings or something like that. Now, we do not see that today. That is a belief system that is is held by evolutionists. And as I said, Darwin in those days was, if you like, ignorant about the complexity of the cell. We now know what's in the cell. And, uh, you know, I think even microbiologists, um, you know, are still struggling for the, uh, the mechanism 
to see what we call macroevolution, these mm-hmm. things changing from one uh, kind into another. But Darwin actually started out as more of a geologist. Uh, as a young man, he was, he was given, originally he was going to train for the clergy, but it's very, very clear that he was already influenced by the teachings of his grandfather, Erasmus Darwin. He was an early evolutionist, if you like. And Charles was already struggling with this idea uh, about millions of years. He was influenced by a book called, uh, or from, uh, from Charles Lyell, a Scottish lawyer, who had developed this idea of uniformitarianism. You know, the present is the key to the past. For example, seeing the Colorado River wind its way through the Grand Canyon in the present, they make a presumption that's been happening for millions or billions of years, and that's how we formed the Grand Canyon. So Charles started out on his trip more of a geologist. People feel that uh, he was very open and that he just sort of stumbled upon these ideas when he was visiting uh, the Galapagos, for example, and he saw finches there with, you know, stronger beaks than he saw on the mainland. He said, look, they've adapted to their particular environment. This is evolution in action. But he was mistaken about that because that is actually not evolution. And people listening will say, yes, it is. Natural selection is evolution, but it isn't. It does not give rise to new information. If you want to turn pond scum to people, you've got to add encyclopedias worth of information to the DNA, and we do not see that occurring. You know, a single, a human being, if I could take a single strand of, of your DNA and type out all the letters of information in it, I'd amass a, a pile of books about 1,000 high. And, you know, every single letter in that 1,000 books worth of information has to be ordered and arranged in precisely the right manner to tell the cell to produce a human being. Now, let me ask you, Mr. Bates, if, if, this, if I'm understanding where you're going with this, if I were a mathematician, from, from what we know of the complexity of DNA, there was no way, really, that I could believe in evolution from purely a mathematical standpoint, from the fact of, of random evolutionary changes and the probabilistic nature of all the different mutations that occur until you hit one that's just right for the environment, and the continuing number of times multiplied by the complex notion of the DNA, I doubt there's enough molecules in the universe that could give you enough random events to actually explain where we are right now. Am I correct, or am I far off on that? No, you're exactly right. In fact, creation uh, mathematicians, if you like, have worked that out, and they've said that even in a 14 or 15 billion-year-old universe, there wouldn't be enough time, mm-hmm. giving the chance random assembling of, you know, various uh, chemicals, if you like, just to form the first protein. For it. so, but that's the idea. That's why you have millions of years associated with this concept of evolution. You have to have enough time according to evolution, to see these imperceptible changes. But even what so, they believe of the time so far cannot explain the complexity that we see now. To me, that seems like a slam dunk, regardless of, of determining what the age of something is in a pile of sand. When mathematicians speak, they speak w- with extreme accuracy of, of what they do. So I, I don't see how an evolutionist can counter that argument purely from a mathematical standpoint. Well, sure. I mean, I'd say, I believe, I think there's lots of, if you like, slam dunks. Uh, one is the mutational load that we see occurring uh, in human beings at the moment. Um, you know, I think they're occurring at about a 1,000 per generation, and ultimately the rate of mutations that are building up in our DNA, the human race is going to be doomed in the future. But we can use the mutation rate as a, as a clock, if you like, and extrapolate backwards, because we presume Adam and Eve were obviously created perfect originally. There was no mutations. God's brought a curse on the 
on the world. Uh, death entered, so now human beings die, we get cancers, we get sick. And, um, you know, as I said, working backwards, we, we, we can ascertain using various mechanisms like that as a clock, if you like, to confirm uh, what the Bible implies, and that is the universe is only, you know, thousands of years old, not millions. But what did we have to remember, Mike, as I said at the beginning, it's a way, you know, I can do that. I can see the evidence because I've got a biblical worldview. And a worldview if, you know, is like a framework or a set of glasses, if you like, for which you're viewing all your world around you. But an evolutionist has, if you like, his secular worldview. And so he interprets the information in a, in a different way. And he would think that he has sem- several slam dunks because they fit well within his paradigm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's never always about the evidence. What we're saying, it's always about this interpretation of of the evidence. And uh, uh, yeah, mathematics is one. But at the same time, you know, people have come up with theories like you know there have been rapid evolutionary states in the past. So although we might see it happening imperceptibly now, there's been periods of right. accelerated evolution. So they and pick, so and choo- pick and choose, in other words. Yeah, it just sounds like you possibly Fudge factors. Right, yeah. to, to work their way around. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom throwing another shrimp on the Barbie bionic. Okay. <laughs> Is that going to be a theme this week? Have I got that to Australian? look forward to? Yeah, actually... I think so. Okay, great. Well, uh, it was great. Speaking of great, it was great having uh, Brother Gary Bates uh, talk a little bit about his background. Uh, He was not a Christian in his upbringing. He um, sort of embraced Darwinism as sort of a fact, and that was something he had to come over, uh, evolution, Mm -hmm. uh, in the process of becoming a Christian. And uh, we talked a little bit there at the end about why it's so important for us to know our origins. Did you have any thoughts on that about why it's important to know who we are and where we come from. Well, gosh, I mean, I could go on and on and on about that, but I don't know if we can, we kind of got to go, don't we? Well, we come from a very moral God, and that's what tells us we have to be a very moral people. But speaking of morality, here's Merv to tell you how you can contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Any last words? None. Come back tomorrow? Come back tomorrow. Uh, come back tomorrow to hear more from Brother Gary Bates. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. Crocky mate, it's Tom Bionic. <laughs> you know, Brother Gary's never going to come back if he I'm hears sorry. this. I'm sorry. Well, he should he should know because because of talking to me that he's dealing with a person of limited understanding. Yeah. What's he going to say? Well, here's these hillbillies from Nashville, <laughs> Tennessee on Future Quake. Well, like golly! A, that would actually be kind of like a cool show. Like, I'll do Australian uh-huh. and he'll do... See how many stereotypes <laughs> we can cram into one show?
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, awesome. thank you for putting up with us. Uh, this actually is a Christian show. We're believers in the Lord. Yeah. We just act like buffoons occasionally. Well, one of us anyway. But we have a great guest this week. We yeah. have Gary Bates, who's the CEO of Creation Ministries International Worldwide, uh, who happens to be uh, from Australia, uh, calling in from Brisbane, Australia, for this interview, talking about the impact of evolution on society, the church, and our perception of the UFO phenomenon. And we think you're going to enjoy it. It may be the only time he comes if he hears uh, Brother Tom speaking here. Yeah. But uh, we hope he comes back. We think you'll enjoy it, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. So they had their leaps of faith. The only difference is they're not willing to always admit their leaps of faith, whereas people of a Judeo-Christian worldview readily admit that they accept the revelation uh, of a divine preserved book with eyewitness testimony recorded over thousands of years in the book. And yep. that the record recording over thousands of years still is consistent in being able to describe the world that's around us. Absolutely. Uh, and, in fact, and, I think it's a better fit than a better fit than evolution because evolution re- requires uh, the belief of unknown events in the past. In other words, it's a bit like the UFO phenomenon. In, in, in one respect, a lot of UFO believers say, "Well, we we don't know how life occurred." I mean, even for evolutionists today. I mean, Darwin's mechanism we were talking about was really an explanation that he tried to come up with change happening amongst biological organisms. But still today, they have still not answered, how did the first life get here? Mm-hmm. How did the first amino acids form how, to form the first proteins, to form the first cells? You know, when you look at a cell, you're looking at something that Michael Behe described as irreducibly complex. You cannot remove one component of the cell and still have the cell functioning. You know, he used that ex- explanation like a mousetrap. There are five components in a mousetrap, and as soon as you move one component of the mousetrap, it fails to be a mousetrap. It doesn't it, catch mice anymore. And it cannot mutate to improve itself if it's not living to begin with. So exactly. it's, if it's deficient, it doesn't even have the means by which to correct its deficiency. Yeah. Yeah. Until Lexi. Well, let me just share one so, last little point. Well, I was just, can, I, oh, can I just make a point yeah. on that? that? That what people do, when I've mentioned resorting to unknowns, then they say, for example... Oh, well, maybe some aliens who evolved elsewhere right. in the universe billions of years ago have visited the Earth and seeded the Earth with some primordial DNA and, and, and got it going. I mean, you know, Zechariah Sitchin and these guys have come up with these ideas. But again, it just pushes the problem of first life right. into outer space. I mean, after all, who created those aliens who created us then? And, you know, who yeah. were the creators it of the aliens? That's a question. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, I was just going to give you a a little blurb that that I stumbled across many years ago. You know, I'm a scientist by background, and in in studying in the throes of mechanical engineering, uh, in one of our our, uh, classic courses called thermodynamics, it's fundamentals of science, of of heat and energy uh, balances. There's a a classic textbook called Fundamentals of Classical Thermodynamics by, uh, I think it's uh, Wiley and Sontag, and uh, it, it's the book that most all students for generations have for thermodynamics. And it's something that will put gray hair in your head because it's such a complex task. But in the chapter on entropy, right when I was in the throes of it, and I've shown it to my co-host Tom Bionic here, mm-hmm. uh, he found it very interesting. Uh, in, in one of these weary, weary middle-of-the-night studying fits at the end of a long, long chapter on entropy, which if people understand what entropy is, it is a, it is a state of continuous, uh, you might want to call it disorganization or disrepair that happens in systems over time. They go from more orderly states to less orderly states. Not only is it so accepted, there's there's a law, a scientific law of entropy, but they can actually even, in a sense, measure it. 
they have tables that they can use to solve real-world problems based upon increases in entropy. But that goes completely counter to evolution and the idea that over time systems gradually get improved or more organized when we have firm laws that say they don't. But at the end of the chapter of this whole study of, of entropy, these two preeminent uh, professors, secular professors at leading universities like University of Michigan, talk about what is the uh, implication of this in the future of the world since we know that entropy is still increasing. Uh, if the processes are known to have an increase of entropy associated with them, what is the future of the natural world as we know it? And here in the last few sentences of this uh, heavy scientific book, it says, uh, quite obviously it's impossible to give conclusive answers to these questions on the basis of the second law of thermodynamics alone. However, the authors see the second law of thermodynamics as man's description of the prior and continuing work of a creator who also holds the answer to the future destiny of man and the universe. Hmm. Now, that's, that is from uh, two professors that are preeminent in the field in secular universities that engineering uh, forces them in the law of science to concede that the only real answer was the state of an ultimate creator and order who also controls the future destiny of mankind. So many people say, you waste your time studying science. If you want to serve God, why don't you go into these other more touchy-feely fields and don't waste your time with the hard sciences? And I would submit that you will see the face of God very, very clearly when you study the sciences. And nature and its world and its laws fully show the work of a creator. And there's Absolutely. much that we can learn about him in these fields. And we need missionaries in these fields. We need churches to send young people to go into math and science and medicine and technology fields, these various areas, to go uh, share the gospel, uh, be a light shining, be salt and light uh, to people like this. So uh, enough, of the, enough of the sermon there. But uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the non scientific aspects and, and just to sort of bridge from this last question when I ask you about some of the the aspects around the origin of the species if my understanding is that is not the full title of that book do you remember the full title of that book uh, look um, basically it says or something like uh, or the preservation of favored races uh, by natural selection so that's that's it I mean we've shown in this movie this documentary for example uh, that I mentioned earlier, the voyage that shook the world. When Darwin visited the tip of South America, he saw the Fuegians, if you like, um, and he regarded them as savages. Now, again, if you looked at those people with a biblical framework, you would know that all humanity has emanated from Adam and Eve. Uh, but he looked at these guys who thought they were primitive, and he then came up with this idea that somehow on the evolutionary scale, they might not be as evolved, if you like, as the white or Caucasian races. And in our own country, Australia, we've, we are still dealing with the legacy of this because, you know, Darwin himself believed, for example, that Australian Aboriginals could be, in inverted commas, the missing link. Mm -hmm. and, and now Australian Aboriginals um, are petitioning museums uh, all around the world where colonialists came out to Australia and in fact we've actually reproduced this on our website, they actually had little handbooks or instructions on where to shoot an Aboriginal and how to plug the bullet hole so that you did not um, you know, ruin the specimen for display so there are Aboriginal bones and, and artefacts in museums all around the world that you know, Aboriginals believe have not been given a, a traditional burial in accordance with their, their beliefs mm. 
and they're trying to get them back to Australia. You know, in, in Australia, we've got a little island off the bottom there called Tasmania. It's right. one of our states. And, you know, there are actually no native Tasmanians left. The last one was shot out. It's a well-known story. Her name was Traganini. So these were human beings. You know, if the Bible's true, we are all descended from Adam. But evolution gave the idea, if you like, it gave the justification for racism. Well, that's, and, the, point, uh, that's the point I'm getting at. There were people that had an agenda in supporting a rank ordering of favored races that evolved into the modern eugenics movement, where mm -hmm. there was an attempt to breed out those who were in power to maintain people of, of, of like breeding to themselves and to breed out those that they considered the degenerate races. And I find it ironic you mentioned Australia because in a, in a non-scientific sense, uh, many years all Australians were subject to discrimination because they were just looked at as a penal colony. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, the whole, the whole continent was disparaged unfairly because of, uh, you know, the, these associations that were just, you know, racist or classist or whatever you want to call them. But there was an intention through this, and, and people don't quote the rest of the chapter of that, of that book, but there was a mm. strong intent in, in financing and support to prove that we could come up with a technical rationale to serve an ideological agenda to show that, that not all people are equal. Uh, the Bible says we're all created in God's image, and they're saying that not all people are created equal, uh, even unlike our own constitution here in the States. And so they supported, funded, equipped, proliferated the information to help support an ideology that they wanted to create. And I wanted to see if you could comment a little bit about that, about the ideological purposes, things like the Eugenic Society. You know, the I, I, you can help me on this, Tom. Was it the American Eugenic Society that became a Planned Parenthood? Yeah, the National Eugenic Society, <laughs> I believe. Right. Yep. Uh, so they had to give it a, a, a gentle name about uh, trying to create uh, preferred species. You know, we've talked on our show many times about uh, the Ford Foundation and others sponsoring uh, Hitler's work mm -hmm. in eugenics. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in isolating favored races itself. Well, and a lot of times, uh, a lot of that stuff that even happened here gets glossed over. You know, there were several hundred thousand that were uh, chemically castrated just in the state of Virginia, I believe, mm -hmm. between 1920 and 1935, yeah. maybe. Right. Actually, guys, this is, this is well documented on our, uh, on our website. If people go to creation.com and just type eugenics in the search engine, they'll actually see that, that history of the American eugenics program there uh, wow. and of course like you mentioned Hitler um, you know he was obviously very very strongly influenced by Darwin and you know my children when they were in high school I remember one of them brought home a year 11 history book and there was a quote there in Hitler from Mein Kampf which basically said those who are unfit should not be allowed to survive mm -hmm. now doesn't that contrast with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount he said you know blessed are the meek for yeah. they shall inherit the earth mm -hmm. he didn't say you know, dog-eat-dog dog, survival of the fittest will be the ones to inherit the earth. And, of course, you know, the Nazis killed over 70,000 people who were handicapped or, you know, um, disadvantaged in some way because he believed that their continued survival was not in the best interests of the nation. He obviously wanted to breed this Aryan master race. The whole concept of his expansion, I think it was called Lebensfrau, was the idea that they needed breeding room or breeding space. And uh, again, we've even documented on our website, I think in the, an, an issue of Creation Magazine last year, 
we featured a uh, an elderly lady now who was one of those chosen uh, to give birth to um, uh, you know the offspring, if you like, of these young Aryan uh, Aryan males. So the legacy is still continuing throughout society. But if yeah. I could make a point, I, I think I think one of the worst aspects of discrimination today, still going on, is abortion. It's something that's been become culturally acceptable. But you know, I even believe the justification for that also had an evolutionary origin. Uh, you may have heard of a, a man called Ernst Haeckel. He was known as Darwin's bulldog mm-hmm. on the continent, and he produced those drawings, which you will still see today in biology textbooks. If you're doing microbiology or studying to be a medical doctor, or even in high school, and that's this idea that a human embryo, whilst in the womb, if you like, undergoes a throwback to our evolutionary fish stage. And we drew pictures of, uh, you know, a frog or a, a, um, a fish uh, and other creatures. And he said, look, he said, they all look similar to a human embryo at this early stage of embryonic development. We now we now know, know those drawings are actually a fraud and they look nothing like that, but that is still used today. So quite simply, let me put it this way, you know, I can't get a gun and shoot any of you guys, right? That would be against the law because I would be regarded as killing a human being. So how come we can abort unborn children in, while they're still in the womb? The idea is that they are not fully human yet. It's, just, it's that basic. Mm-hmm. And that idea came from this evolutionary idea that we're still in the womb. This was, it's still evolving, if you like, and it is nothing more than just, just an unevolved animal. Well, that's true so for we, almost any justification for genocide of any type. Not always, but most of the time you first just define the people as non-living or non-human, whether it's Jews and gypsies, even homosexuals, whatever it might be, uh, or you go back into the womb and start at the very, very beginning when the people are completely defenseless at that stage. But you dehumanize, you use euphemisms. Uh, they're no longer babies in the womb. Uh, there, are, there are embryos or there are uh, uh, other word, fetuses, whatever word they want to use that doesn't sound as uh, disturbing. Uh, yeah. and euphemisms for the event itself. But, you know, it, it's one aspect, like, like Hitler emphasized, the preferred order of races. There's another aspect of uh, the abortion debate that was used by communism, which was basically just the purely nihilistic view that life is meaningless uh, and that there is no God, there is no purpose, there is only the state. Uh, individualism is meaningless because w- when your birth was intended you have not only meaning, but individual meaning. Uh, you were created for a purpose. You have an individual purpose. The world will be lesser if you weren't there, being who you are. Communism uh, threw all of that out, and evolution provided the justification for them to say that survival of the fittest is really the only important matter. You know, the, the, uh, the Germans may have wanted to eliminate certain races, not only for survival, but just because they preferred to have uh, those that were what they considered more productive for society. Uh, Communists believed that it was inevitable that you were going to have a a fight between uh, different classes of society, and only the strongest and the most grimly determined would win. So really the whole world, totalitarian world of the modern era has been defined and undergirded by the message of evolution. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Amen. (laughs) Uh, How do you see... uh, how it has had an effect since since the time of Darwin on society's perception of religion 
Uh, you've already talked about some of the moral issues like ab- abortion, and of course euthanasia is another one that's going to be even bigger on the horizon. But 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 how has that impacted the role of of religion, traditional religion in society? Well, I think uh, it's if you like the secular world has viewed religion as uh, if I could specifically talk about Christianity as just a man-made concept or the idea that religion has evolved in itself. In other words, man cannot cope with the idea that there is no meaning and purpose to our life. We're just a mud ball spinning in space. Um, as I said, chance of uh, the, the byproduct of chance random processes over millions of years. You know, there was a big bang may have been many big bangs in the past, but we just happen to have got lucky in this particular universe and the, the cosmic dice fell in the right order so that evolution could get going. And that's why we're here to ask the purpose, you know, why am I here and why does the universe look like it's being devi- designed in the first place? So they see religion as a man-made concept. And, you know, Richard Dawkins, uh, who you may have heard of, the uh, professor for the public understanding of science at Oxford University, probably the world's most rabid fundamentalist Darwinian evolutionist today and the world's most rabid anti-Christian, his last book, The God Delusion, unfortunately was an Amazon bestseller. And, you know, he uses invectives to call God a a child abuser and a murderer, which I find, find was quite ironic given that he doesn't believe in God to start with. Right. But he said, for example, that Darwin made it, uh, made it uh, possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. And he sees people who believe in a God or, if you like, are religious as being weak. He said, you just can't face up to the realities of life. You know, you live, you're born, you live, you die. That's it. We're in this, you know, endless casino that is the universe and you're just going to have to get used to it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so you can understand if you have young people growing up you know, in Australia, for example, you know, we actually have the second highest youth suicide rate in the developed world. Now, I know, Mike, you've been to Australia, you know what it's like. And, and Aussies actually talk about their own country. We, we call it the lucky country. It's a euphemism we use because, you know, we don't have a lot of people. We've got beautiful coastline. We're a very wealthy country. Most people have everything they want. We well, have let me very, put it very this low way. rates. Of I, wouldn't, I wouldn't associate Australia with stress. I've never <laughs> seen the most stress-free people in the universe or in Australia. Uh, I've never seen anything ever rile up an Australian ever at any time I've ever been around them. So I, I can't blame it on an intense culture, uh, you know, of a dog-eat-dog rat race that could be the cause of what the societal problems you're talking about. Yeah. But you see, if you if you teach people that they've come from nothing, they're going to nothing, when they die, there's nothing at the end of it, then there is no meaning and purpose to life. And let's face it, young people today do have pressures. You know, they, there's a lot of pressure on studies, getting a career. Their hormones are running rampant. They get into relationships. And ultimately, when things get too hard, they end up just topping themselves. And it's a virtually an epidemic in this country. Mm-hmm. And wow. you look at another country like Japan, which is another country that has similar problems. You know, it's completely atheistic. You know, Australia believe it or not, used to have a a good Christian heritage. This used to be a Christian country. I believe the United States used to be a Christian country. I'm sad to say, and some people might disagree with me, that it is not a Christian country anymore because that Christian foundation that underpinned our law, it underpinned, if you like, the very concept of what we call morality. See, what is morality? Well, morality, I believe, is actually a Christian concept. 
It comes from the Bible. Love thy neighbour as thyself. But the more that people reject the Bible's authority, say, in the area of science, hey, if I can't believe the first book there, why should I believe any of it? Then, you know, they, they, they throw out the whole lot. Now, I'm not saying a, an atheist can't be moral. Of course he can. He can do moral things. But here's the point. What is his rationale or basis for being moral? Right. Because if he was consistent with his evolutionary belief, well, hey, guys, maybe I should just come in and steal your widescreen plasma TV tonight. After all, who's to say that's wrong? And if I can get away with it and there's no God watching me, well, I'm not going to be accountable for it at the end of this life. And if I'm only here for my three score and ten, I might as well have a good time and just do what I want. That's the point I, I wanted to make is that for a society as a whole, you know, that's the thought that comes back to me. For society to stand, its its citizens have to believe in their hearts that they have to obey the law when no one is looking, when no mm. one will catch them. A policeman cannot be everywhere. That they're trying very hard to make a totalitarian society now and put pictures and or, or cameras on every street corner. Maybe they'll be in every house, but until then, uh, people have to obey laws all the time when there's no other in, external inducement to do so other than they know they're going to be accountable to a creator or have some level of conscience. And there really is no allowance for conscience in an evolutionary world. And I, and I think that that's what you're implying there. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. I uh, was up in a Canadian office last year, and one of our speakers there is a former youth pastor, and he used to do a bit of street evangelism. And he said he goes out on the street, and you know he'll talk to children or talk to youth, and he'll say, look what the Bible says. And the kids say to him, What's the Bible? Mm-hmm. See, it's quite just staggering, isn't it? I've got another good friend, uh, a pastor in South Australia, is associated with our ministry. He goes out and does street evangelism, and he stands on his soapbox, and he's basically trying to invite conversation. And people will, you know, snicker, abuse them as they walk past. But then he says something like, "Evolution is the biggest fraud ever perpetrated on society." And boy, you want to see the reaction he gets then. <laughs> what? How could you say that? Evolution is well established. Is that true? Give me something that you know about evolution to be true. Is it something you've looked at or studied yourself, or is it something that you've just been taught and you've accepted? Well, they defend their new religion. They, they, they treat it as a religion to be defended. Mm-hmm. And if we only well, had Christians that were accurate in doing that. Yeah. It, uh, it has spiritual implications. And that, this is why people get angry. Because they see that with the idea of a concept of a creator comes a set of rules, if you like. And, and we don't see things getting better in society. You talked about a policeman on every corner, corner. And I think, you know, many people think that's the answer to control right. rampant lawlessness. And it will be totalitarian, but inexorably we're going to be locked into that mentality. See, people think that you can create laws. And and ultimately, you will control a society. But, you know, I believe, and you mentioned it earlier, and this is the point, you know, I could get Christians into, we could get Christians into government. That would be great. We could have Christian you know, senators and congressmen and presidents. But, you know what, when there's another election, the laws change, as you've just seen now, and you'll get pro-abortion and pro-homosexual presidents into power. So that's not the answer. Well, the wait, answer, how, how the answer it... is... Uh, if I could just finish, yeah. the answer is see change when people's hearts and minds change towards the concept that there is a God and a creator mm-hmm. and that he revealed himself in flesh in the form of Jesus Christ and actually paid for their sins. 
when there's a heart change, that's that's right. when that's when you'll see society becoming better. Sorry, go on. Amen. Well, uh, you've you've stolen my thunder somewhat. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just going to make the point of uh, I don't know what you think you are the guest or something, but uh, uh, the uh, we're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom. Kind of interested in in this in this latest thing. A lot of interesting piece of info, info there. Bionic. Bionic. Okay. <laughs> Unless you had a hyphenated name all of a sudden. Well, I, I was going to put the hyphenated No longer there, Bionic. Yeah. Was Was there anything that really caught your fancy about uh, what Brother Gary was sharing with us well, in this well, segment? Well, yeah, I was, just, I was just saying a minute ago there, the uh, the fact that they thought Aborigines were the missing link and they would shoot the Aborigine uh, to stuff and put in a museum. And then, uh, you know, they had books detailing how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, how to cover the hole and everything and how to find them and trap hmm. them and everything. You know, the one thing I remember when I was over in the middle of the outback in Alice Springs hmm. was that uh, I guess they were worried about teenage pregnancy and the Aborigines, and they had an Aborigine superhero on posters that was pushing condom use. That was, is extremely weird. Well, it was almost a sort of a form of eugenics. They were, like, trying to reduce. But I, I know it's a poverty issue. You know, they didn't want to go into poverty, but yeah. I just found it sort of interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking uh, speaking of, of aborigines, <laughs> uh, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us here at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're about over. Let's get out of here. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, continue our listening. We're going to get into the subject of UFOs later in the week. But until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. No, I am Dr. Future. Oh, you are crazy. <laughs> I should have you forcibly removed. He is Tom Bionic, our no, co-host. No, no, I am Dr. Future. Not of sound mind and body. But I tell you someone who is. That's our guest this week, Gary Bates, the CEO of Creation Ministries International Worldwide, uh, a worldwide uh, expert in all subjects of uh, creationism uh, and information about abortion from a biblical worldview and he's talking with us this week about the impact of evolution on society the church and our perception of the UFO phenomenon and this is our third installment and I think you're going to really enjoy it any comments before we cut away you know I thought this was a, a very interesting interview let's um let's just go okay with no further ado here is Gary Bates and we'll be right back to discuss it here on future quake the point I was going to make is if we could reflect on something like uh, prohibition, for example, here in the States, and see how effective we were at legislating morality. What we do is we, we, we take immoral behavior and we, we drive it underground. We drive it into the shadows. Uh, it forces people to basically try to find ways around laws to, to still do what their hearts and their lusts require of them. Any other issue, you could you know mention many others the same way. 
uh, as you say, and I believe you're implying, the state can coerce, they can force people to do things, but they cannot make them moral. Uh, mm -hmm. They can make them kowtow where they will not do things in the light of day, where they're accountable, but it will not make them uh, do what's proper in the dark. Only yeah. the, 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 the Holy Spirit, God's work through the church or whatever agency he chooses to work through to, to change the heart of man is the only hope we have. Um, how, how do you see this? And I, I want to get on to the UFO talk here in the, in the, in the second sure. half of this, but how do you see it influencing the future of civil government? Uh, what will happen to the future morality and, and even movements like the transhumanism movement? and the like, uh, if we continue to have our young people, and, and then we have, uh, by the way, a, a militant uh, adoption of atheism, Darwinism that goes with it. It, it was taught in our, in our classrooms. Some, some of these uh, nonprofit uh, uh, organizations actually promoted this, taught in the, in the public classroom society. But now they're being very militant about it and pushing it hard. With several more generations of people raised under that environment, and, and, and I'll just say too, as an aside, that when I read some articles over in the UK or elsewhere in Europe, for example, when there's been debates between evolutionists and atheists versus people of the church, they'll often pick some uh, some uh, uh, bishop or archbishop or Anglican priest who who either a tries to, to uh, define away the Bible and tries to backtrack from the authority of Scripture. Uh, or they make some totally irrelevant argument that is so old that it that it is met with derision and laughter from the audience. But you sense so much darkness in these cultures when you read the fact that religion and, and Judeo-Christian beliefs have become a novelty, almost like a relic that should be put in a museum. Mm. And, and they're seen almost just like I say as a, as, a, as a novelty of an ancient primitive history that we have in just a few generations. If that proceeds further... How is that going to affect how our government is going to look in the state of the morality in our society? And, and even things like the transhumanism movement, which takes evolution and takes it in their own hands to uh, push the species further. Well, I, I mean, I can only guess or imagine. And certainly as a, as a ministry, we don't hold any set views on, on uh, what we think will happen in the future. But I suppose if we continue down the current path, what's happening, and in effect what I believe you're saying, is that those with differing beliefs become marginalized. And you defined before that human beings exist on relationship. Now, funny, I was just watching the news broadcast last night, and I see that uh, Miss California, is it, has just been uh, marginalized mm -hmm. yes. because in one of her interviews she spoke out about gay marriage. So there we have the whole weight of the media, the whole weight of perceived public opinion marginalizing this particular young lady because she dare express a view. And we, we use the concept of political correctness. We use the concept of being tolerant to try to, if you like, preserve peace or create harmony in society. But it's actually, it's, it's incorrect because what we are promoting is intolerance. In other words, we'll only be tolerant if you actually accept my point of view. That's what we're really saying. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that Christianity, um, I, 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 you know, to be honest, is, if you like, an intolerant religion. It says there is one God, there is one creator, you shall have no other gods except me. 
And there, by understanding that, if you like, I, as I said, if people accepted that, there's your heart change. There, I believe, you'll see that people will become, uh, you know, more tolerant, more peace-loving when they understand that there is a set of defined boundaries that should be guiding society. But at the moment, we live under this concept that uh, man can virtually do anything he wants and we see the boundaries being pushed. Now, in America, for example, uh, under this, uh, this gay marriage debate that's going on, we have a similar situation in Australia. If we legislate, I believe, for gay marriages to occur, you will not see that will be the end. Because once marriage is not defined as one man for one woman, and it can be a man for a man, and it can be a woman for a woman, then what's to say it shouldn't be a man with two men, or a woman with five women, or maybe a man and an animal? And don't laugh, because already some of the humanists and certainly the pro-evolutionists are saying that the chimpanzees and apes, for example, should be afforded civil rights because they're the closest relation, uh, closest ancestors to human beings on the earth. So you are you are letting anything go, anything happen under this guise of political correctness or tolerance. But could you see the dis- the erosive, destructive effects that that would have on society if you do allow basically anything anything mm-hmm. goes? Right. So I see what will happen is in the future society will become such an absolute mess that people will look for a, uh, uh, if you like, uh, a government or powers of uh, instrumentality to start addressing some of this. Mm-hmm. In other words, I always have the feeling that Satan goes too far uh, and people will then look. I mean, I still think today people love strong leadership. Uh, you know, they love people to uh, to be strong, to to try to set boundaries, people aspire to leadership. And I, I can see the time in the future that society will be so bad that there will be a system of unilateral control because I just, just can't imagine how, some, how society would function under those sets of circumstances. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing, it, we're seeing it occur now. You right. know, once the lawlessness uh, and, you know, if it feels good, do it, is uh, is leading to you know, very, very cancerous effects that affect basically every every civilized nation or supposedly civilized nation on the earth. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, I mentioned the transhumanism movement, and we've we've covered that several times on this show. Uh, we we know Brother Tom Horn is one who's particularly good at, at covering this and talking about man taking in his own hands uh, the attempt through genetic manipulation to advance what he sees as his evolution. Uh, and from the reports that we read in the press, the indication is is that these superior transhumanist entities are supposed to be amongst us sometime in the next 10 years, uh, according mm-hmm. to the progress that they currently say. Uh, and at that point, they say that, that we who are regular homo sapiens are going to be seen almost like a drone class, where we're going to have inferior intellect, uh, other inferior traits. And because our governments have allowed this research to go on unchecked, where we have chimeras and, and other creatures being created in labs right now, that when that happens, we're going to be on the receiving end of this evolutionary thought where this whole survival of the of fittest approach is going to be directed against us. Mm-hmm. Have, have you studied this much or have any comments? No, I haven't. In fact, I have to be honest, a lot of that is new to me. But um, 
I suppose it also the possibility of that makes sense. The euthanasia movement, the abortion movement at the other end, if you like, are tied into these ideas of of what do we deem as a suitable fit human being? How do we determine you know, because somebody is bedridden and incapable of uh, looking after themselves and being fed through a tube, for example, who makes the judgment that that life is no longer deemed to be fit or 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 suitable for survival? And, of course, uh, with governments and increasing economic pressures, uh, this cost factor will be a part of it too. Mm-hmm. And we already see now people wanting to have tests to try to determine whether their child is going to be healthy or not, you know, DNA tests and scans and whatever. And, of course, they make the decision to abort that child if they believe that it's not going to be, you know, in inverted commas, a fully functional human being. Mm-hmm. So I can I can understand what you're saying, and I've, something I've never considered before, but it, it makes sense that ultimately man will try to control his own destiny. But it's good, they're going to be uh, on an ever-increasing cycle because, as I said, the mutational load is actually increasing. Um, it's it's we found no way to address that at this stage. Well, you know, the transhumanism movement is, is really hitting on all cylinders right now. It's become chic. It's in the mainstream news. And now with their ability to, to manipulate our own DNA, uh, they're accelerating rapidly in basically creating their own destiny. But uh, they readily admit it's going to make the rest of us homo sapiens as second-class citizens and of marginal use. And, you know, this is just a classic case of it's okay when you're the hammer, but it stinks when you're the nail. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, and you'd rather be the windshield rather than the bug. And uh, uh, well, I'm already pretty useless. I don't. I don't know how they could make me more useless. Just a fellow Homo sapiens, <laughs> right? Much less. Jeez. Uh, let, let me ask you one more quick question before we move on to, into the UFO issue. You'll be uh, related to what you'll be talking about, Roswell. You know, one of the most fascinating books I have ever read is a book called Earth's Earliest Ages, which was a book written back in the mid 1800s by a theologian George Pember. Uh, Bible-believing Christian, uh, he attempted to offer a hypothesis to explain the recent findings of fossils and materials uh, that was being used at the time by uh, evolution supporters. Uh, And he offered, uh, I guess you could say, an answer or approach that he thought could feasibly be consistent with a reading of Scripture by, in essence, proposing a gap theory of Mm -hmm. a pre-Adamite civilization between Genesis 1 and Genesis 1-2. Uh, But, you know, it it, it did offer, uh, amazingly, explanations for a number of very perplexing passages in the Bible. And he was able to put a coherent description of some very puzzling scriptures. And his intent up front was that it was was a hypothesis, and and he made it forward with with fear and trembling. But his intent was to undergird the authority of scripture and, and what he proposed. What do you think, in your personal view, is the problem with Christians even considering alternative explanations to the literal six-day creation by, you know, incorporating possibly these additional aspects to it if they pursue it from a commitment to compliance with the full testimony of God's Word. Is is it possible in any of these issues to be sometimes more restrictive in the range of possible interpretation of the text of God's Word, even more than what the Lord himself intended? Uh, And I'll just give you an example like, uh, you know, the Catholic Church insistence about the earth being the center of the solar system. Uh, hmm. Can we find ourselves in our in our zeal sometimes to be yeah. in that case? Well, the Bible's never never indicated that they believed that God uh, said or stated that you know the sun went around the earth. So that's always a straw man argument that's brought right. up 
although Christians may have believed that, there was no scriptural basis for it. Right. Uh, the idea, quite simply, let, let me go back a step, because this is tied in with this whole idea of the gap theory and the millions of years. Because geology was starting to be interpreted within this millions of years framework, that's why Pember, etc., and these guys came up with these ideas. Uh, and a lot of Christians at the time also tried to reconcile Scripture with this view of millions of years. Now, there are lots of Christians out there who say, look, you know, Gary, I don't believe in evolution, but you're saying 6,000 years, and I'm told that the earth is 4.5 billion years. How could we be so wrong? Well, first off, there is no dating method. You know, if you do a, a radiocarbon test or a uranium lead test, there is no dating method you can use to prove the age of anything. It doesn't work like that. All you are doing is measuring radioisotopes in your sample, but quite simply, you know the decay rates are constant uh, now, but has it been accelerated, accelerated radio decay in the past? That's something that even secularists are, are uh, toying with the idea of. Uh, how much of those radioactive elements were in the organism when it died for carbon-14 dating? So let me just say that because people listening will say, well, hang on, you know, what about radioactive dating? So the idea of millions of years came from those rock layers, those sedimentary layers that I mentioned earlier in the show. We now know that those, ra- those, those rock layers can be laid down rapidly. Mm-hmm. So that's not a problem. But here's the issue and why guys, uh, people have come up with a gap theory. Those, those rock layers contain fossils. And fossils are a record of dead things. So quite simply, if Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden, if you like, you know, standing there would have been sta- standing on millions or billions of layers of alleged earth history, those layers contain fossils in them, which are a record of death. And here's Adam and Eve on day six, for example, and God looks down at what he made and said, it is very good. <laughs> you know, is death good? In fact, I mentioned earlier, the very reason Christ came was to save us, if you like, from death, because we would have been eternally separated from God as a result of our sin when God instituted the curse. If you toy with this idea of millions of years, what you are doing is you are putting death before the fall. Uh, Romans 5.12 clearly tells us that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Therefore, death came to all men because all have sinned. The Bible is quite clear that there was no death and bloodshed before Adam. And I think what you've actually just done is you've just destroyed the very meaning and purpose of why Christ came to the earth. Effectively, you just, you've destroyed the gospel. Well, I'm so not. I'm not defending. Yeah, I'm not defending that position. In fact, I don't. Oh, I'm not any, saying you personally, the Mike. So yeah. I don't think that. I'm yeah. just saying that anybody that that thinks that that's that, that's the consequences right. of adding those millions of years. And and people often say, well, you know, God could have done this, or he could have could have done that, and he <laughs> may have done it this way. But you know what? I'm not interested in what God could have done or he might have done. I'm interested in what he said he did. That's, right. what, that's what he said he did in his word. And, uh, um, you know, we look at distant starlight, for example. You know, the idea of millions of years did not come from distant starlight. It actually started right back here with Lyell and Hutton and this idea of uniform materialism, slow, gradual processes over millions of years. And what we tried to do is just thinking that those facts of science speak for themselves not understanding that they're interpreted, we try to squeeze them in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And just finally, Exodus 20.11, you know, the hermeneutical principle is to test Scripture with Scripture. Exodus 20.11 tells us, for in six days God made the heavens and the earth. There's verse 1.1 of Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. 
right. and then it goes on without a full stop or a period, and it says, you know, and he made everything that is in them in six days. And, of course, what is that passage of Scripture in Exodus 20.11? It's one of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says it's inscribed by the finger of God in tablets of stone, along with those other ones, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder. And, of course, most Christians don't have a problem with any of the other commandments, but when we get to the six days of Genesis, which is one of God's commandments, um, we try to say, well, God really didn't mean that because we know science has shown the earth is four and a half billion years old. Well, the, so the, the feasibility of six days, to me, one has to reflect on, do you accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you accept the Dead Sea parting or the Red Sea parting? You know, um, a miracle is a miracle. Uh, uh, creating the earth in six days should be no more of a task for someone who can do all of these other things, including defying death, um, you know, than, than a six-day. Can You can't pick and choose and say you believe miracles on one end, but you, you cannot believe in miracles on the other, or, or things that we cannot understand, in other words. Um, but, you know, what we were just talking about here was something we would make a great show uh, for us to dedicate a show for, because I know some people would say that, uh, and I'm sure you've heard these arguments about, the Hebrew word for day can mean eras or other kind of things like this, and that may or may not be true. I'm sure you have a ready argument for it, but maybe sometime we could have a, a very interesting discussion uh, about that. And in fact, even those who proponents of the gap theory would say that your references to man uh, often uh, would refer to the creation uh, that God did through Adam and Eve, and that there could have been a, a a previous judged fallen race to man. But it gets to be pretty murky. And like you say, we have to hang our hand on what we know mm. and the clear yeah. uh, revelation that God gives us clearly. I personally believe that there'll be uh, much that we will find that we're not equipped to handle right now, uh, intellectually yeah. in our spirit of what we know. And uh, at least we can focus on the things that are very clear, and particularly the person and work of Jesus Christ. Sure. Uh, you know, Mike, just, just one, one of those right. things, all those things you mentioned, without, I have got answers and explanations okay. for all of those. I'm but, sure you do. But let me, ju- let me just say, if people can think of death before the fall, there's the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, millions of years pre-Adamic races, death before the fall. It, it, having death before the fall, it destroys the very gospel. You know, the angels were created before God created the earth. It tells us that in Job. So when God took what he made and said it was good, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that has to include that he created angels because they always believed that Satan fell somewhere in that gap, that the classic you know, gap theory idea. But you have a problem because on day six, God says he saw all that he has made and it's good. And that also had to include the angels. So so Satan or Lucifer could not have fallen in the gap, for example. Oh, so, um, so you would be saying that Satan fell sometime after the sixth day? Would have had to have, yeah. Very interesting. I've never even heard someone, because I was actually going to mention that point, uh, trying to be devil's advocate, so to speak, uh, excuse the pun, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, about, uh, you know, a fall prior to man. And, and I don't want to, I want to move on from this, but sure. uh, the point I was trying to well, make can I, is... Can I just suggest yeah. people go to creation.com? There's a question and answer section there with hundreds and hundreds of questions they can they can uh, get an answer for. So that, that's where they'll get the source of answers for all those. So there's only hundreds and hundreds of questions answered. Uh, they no, still might have unique ones that they, they may not have had yet on the list. Actually, I said that incorrectly. There are hundreds and hundreds of um, subject headings. Okay. Uh, but there's actually thousands of, as I said, there's 32 years' worth of creation research on that site. It's all free. Well, I was going to try to challenge our Futurian listeners to try to 
add to the list somehow with some kind of arcane question to ask that hasn't been. Uh, but I'm sure you've covered just about all of it on the website. I know I was certainly impressed when I reviewed it. Uh, well, if they come up with a novel question, it will could get featured as a weekend feedback, so I encourage that. Okay, you've you've thrown down the gauntlet for the future Quake listeners here. Uh, we've got a very intelligent lot there, so I'm sure they'll they'll take that to task. How has the worldview of evolution affected how modern society views the possibility, origins, and purpose of extraterrestrial life forms? Yep, we're very easy to answer that one, and it'll be a quick one because life on the Earth can only get can only have, have arisen by one of two mechanisms. Either it was created or it's evolved. That's what we've been talking about in the first half of this show. So now let's look elsewhere in the universe. What are the two answers? We don't know any, any, any other explanations. Either it was created or it was evolved. And to give you an example, I was at a, a UFO conference in, uh, in Brisbane a few years ago, and this UFO field investigator stood up uh, to give a lecture, and he said, look, we know the great cosmic science experiment, evolution works. Here we are. You and I are proof of it. Therefore, in a 14-billion-year-old universe, there could be alien races out there who are a billion years older than man. Therefore, they could be a billion years older in their technology uh, or more advanced. And so who's to say that they can't build hyperspace, um, you know, spacecraft to visit the Earth? So there was his answer to explain, you know, the lights in the sky are really alien visitations. And he says, how can they do that? Well, they can defy the very laws of physics because they evolved a billion years before man. Nice. So underpinning, <laughs> I believe, I believe that the very, very base of all of this, once again, is this foundational view of origins. It's a worldview issue. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. No, I'm Dr. Future. I keep trying to explain to people. <laughs> Are you like a clone or doppelganger of me? Uh, if so, there's been a lot of degradation in my genetic structure, if you're it. problem with the signal. Yeah. There was not a favorable evolutionary step up. It was more entropy, a degraded yeah. species. Yeah, yeah. We better, we better, we, what did you think about this guy? Uh, but uh, this guy, you mean our guest? Our guest. So this guy, Brother Gary? Yeah. Uh, I thought, uh, well, I, I enjoyed the discussion we had. I brought up one of my favorite theologians, George Pember. Mm-hmm. We we didn't have enough time to get into the meat and potatoes. He was talking about different issues that, that pertain to man and mankind, and I think George Pember was referring to events that may have happened that were extracurricular to what we know as man, what's defined in the Bible as man. Mm-hmm. But that's for another day. Uh, speaking of uh, pre-Adamite creatures, uh, <laughs> Merv, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Uh, there's something going on in the room here. I okay. Don't know. Would you please understand your true identity <laughs> for tomorrow? Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. <laughs> and Tom Bionic has had a nervous breakdown. And uh, I am Mary Queen of Scots. You know, this is a legitimate Christian show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Folks, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just I'm not functioning on very little sleep. I'm and co-host has... Yeah, I should have uh, had Pyro set in for... Uh, Tom Bionic this week. You would have been more concise. And it's such a shame because we have a yeah. wonderful guest this week. Tell, tell them about Gar- the guest. Gary Bates, CEO of Creation Ministries International Worldwide, uh, talking about the impact of evolution on society, the church, and our perception of the UFO phenomenon. He does a very credible, uh, let me mention, professional <laughs> job. And, uh, you know, it's like taking two pieces of stale bread and putting it on some filet mignon. But uh, we we know you're going to enjoy him, and uh, we'll be right back to uh, wrap up in our final segment of our visit with Brother Gary uh, when we come back here on Future Quake. Well, uh, one thing that they've fortunately been able to do is not just stop with a meaningless, nihilistic approach uh, of of evolution, uh, the, the atheistic approach. They've been able to find a way to marry new age belief systems mm-hmm. uh, and still give meaning and purpose, and I find that's a real trend in science today is to try to yeah. try, try to fortify science with a belief system that is not challenging to people that doesn't have uh, atonement doesn't have original sin or fall uh, doesn't have sin payment blood blood atonement and so uh, people are finding science answers alone to be extremely dry although we have a lot of militant atheists out there that that say sure. they're completely happy with their atheism, but you can always detect a sense of rebellion against God at the heart of every one of their statements. Man, I have a friend who says that, and then every other every other month I get a phone call, him just total depression. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the funniest, it's the silliest thing. Mm-hmm. And then you mention, well, right. you know, there's this thing called Jesus, and, well, and he didn't want to. Sorry, I, I no, no, you're right. But you know, the, the 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 sides of the dark forces have found. They can give a little bit of spirituality and mix it in with religion. And going with the New Age approach uh, dovetails nicely with the whole evolutionary belief system. But, but yeah. uh, I, Well, they've always got the force to rely upon, you see. So. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, how is this view uh, reinforced in the media? And, and I just want to give an example of one to me that stood out recently was the movie Knowing. I don't know if you, you saw that movie. No, uh, didn't. With Nicolas Cage, it was just out a few months ago. Actually, we went with uh, one of our pastors at church and watched it. And 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 basically, you find a a uh, young lady who is visited by something. You don't know what it is, but she starts writing down these mysterious numbers that are are prophetic of crises that happen in the future. And it's uh, discovered in a time capsule. And and uh, Nicolas Cage, the uh, protagonist, to uh, he and his children start to find out that uh, there's something terrible going to happen to the, related to the end of the world. And in the meantime, he finds out that this girl who grows up older and is sort of a recluse uh, has, draws pictures of Elijah, uh, seeing things, you know, like the wheel and the, and the vision, or excuse me, Ezekiel. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you, you get a feeling that there's something going in a UFO direction. And you find out at the end of this movie that UFOs are coming back and these creatures are coming back Uh, And even though they don't speak, they speak through the children. And they decide to take the children off of the earth before a cataclysmic uh, solar flare consumes the world. And this Mm. protagonist who has rejected traditional religion, his father's a pastor, who's trying to reach him, 
eventually, uh, when this gentleman, he's the only adult who finds out what's going on, is left behind. His children are taken away. And as the world's becoming consumed, he goes back to his father, the pastor, to console him. And his father says, that's okay. Uh, this is all going to turn out all right. And, uh, you know, he says in this very knowing way, he says, I know, Father, I know. With the indication that his knowledge of panspermia and of the aliens coming back to reseed the world is a deeper, more illumined knowledge of our future than our very crude, primitive religious systems. And this is a message that goes on and on and on. They even show a, a van that's, that's abandoned in one of the wrecked cities that says Jesus is Lord on the side of it. Sort of a metaphor of the you know, wreck of organized religion that cannot take us to the side. Whereas these aliens start a new Garden of Eden and, yeah. and bring these children in reseeding another world. And you see the tree of life on the other side. So, so you know, that was one that hits you right between the eyes. But these mm. messages are over and over again. Do, do you see there's some kind of concerted effort uh, of the media to keep placing this idea of these, you know, uh, bene uh, benevolent uh, overseers that come from outer space to take care of us and controlling our destiny? Sure. I, I actually wrote about this in my book. By the way, I haven't given that a plug yet, Alien Intrusion, UFOs and the Evolution Connection. But... Uh, uh, I, I did mention those concepts, and you know they've actually been around for a long, long time. When you think about it, um, had that idea I first supplanted about you know older, wiser aliens visiting us with Eric von Daniken and his chariots of the gods idea, um, you know, and that's still I think today the largest selling, uh, if you like, UFO book in the world. Over 60 million copies mm -hmm. I think were sold. Um, Yours is number two, what, isn't it? Uh, well, it was an Amazon top 50 bestseller, but I don't know. Uh, That's right. Don't know. Don't know how many uh, actually have even been sold to date. So, but look, I do think there is a concerted effort, and it gets back to this idea that we have this book, the Bible. It's lasted the test of time. It won't go away. We've got all these people who believe, you know, in creation, that believe Jesus is the Messiah, that He's God. You know, we know these things can't happen because science has shown man does not rise from the dead and so on and so forth. Um, I was at a meeting up on the Sunshine Coast north of Brisbane, which is a quite a new agey. Some parts of it are very new agey. There are Reiki healers and mm -hmm. uh, this type of stuff there. And I was doing a meeting one night right in the middle of uh, this town. And, you know, I showed, for example, uh, a drawing uh, where Elijah was being raptured into a spacecraft where UFOs were parting the Red Sea, concepts promoted by the Reverend Barry Downing uh, that had been helping this lady who drew these pictures. And I said, these ideas are actually rising up and challenging the church, um, you know, because they think that Jesus is just an advanced extraterrestrial and that, in fact, it wasn't supernatural power, if you like. It was just technology that enabled, enabled him to raise the dead turn water into wine and to calm the seas and the storms with just his command. And, you know, a very well-dressed middle-aged man, uh, he uh, was there at the meeting with his wife, stood up and said, and what's wrong with that in the, in the middle of a church? And, you know, I was preaching at Bible college about four years ago, and I was actually talking to the students about UFOs, uh, saying that this is something that you'll need to be equipped with to talk to your young people today because of the influence of, the, of science fiction in particular that are continually promoting these themes. And one young man came to see me after. And I must admit, this, this surprised me at the time. And he said, well, I'll give you an example. He said, we did a, a tough questions night in the youth group. 
and we put some big circles on the floor in the in the church hall and we gave children multiple choice questions and there were three answers and we labeled one circle a b c and he said one of the questions he gave was you know do you believe in aliens ufos etc uh you know no maybe or yes and he said every single child in the youth group everyone ran into the circle of yes in other words they, they the question extrapolated he said do you believe that they're actually visitors from other planets etc so this is in a church youth group so what happens you see it's in the same as this creation evolution area unless society is changing and embracing these new ideas to try to explain away if you like the veracity of scripture here's this book we don't know what to do with it we know that science has proven it wrong Maybe we can explain, like Rail, for example, who thinks the Elohim are our creators and they've mm-hmm. planted the earth with DNA and we've mistaken Jesus as a god and the early visitors as gods. He thinks, of course, the word Elohim, plural, uh, talks about visitors or as gods and not, the, uh, and not describing the Trinity. So more and more, the church, I think, is actually getting left behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, pardon the pun. But um, the famous book and the TV, right. uh, the movie series, but it is actually getting left behind because we are being viewed as increasingly irrelevant by the culture, and the culture, if you like, is advancing in the way that the Bible is being described and and presenting the Bible in a more plausible fashion, if you like, to the masses. Look at the Da Vinci Code as an example for that. Here's a way, pure fiction, of course. But as soon as I saw that book, uh, I thought, you know what, this is going to be hugely popular because people seemed, seemed, and the media in particular, seemed to want to provide an alternative explanation to the Bible and an alternative explanation as God's. And I see that this UFO phenomenon, if you like, provides a very, very palatable way, a la rail, for example, of saying, you know, God was uh, an advanced extraterrestrial who visited the earth and that's how we got our Bible, for example. And that, that's, you know, if you like, a very simple, basic way of putting it. And there are many morphs and variations of that. And, well, we uh, just had a we had a guest last week who's one of the most popular people in the world in the field of UFOs and investigating field data. And uh, she came to the opinion that it was almost impossible for her to believe how implausible it would be for Noah to take animals on an ark to preserve but really had no problem with the feasibility that space brothers are out there uh, seeding yeah. our DNA, coming yeah. from somewhere else and capturing our salts and jars of light, uh, yeah. while at the same time, um, you know, uh, taking organs out of animals and abducting people and things like that. Uh, but we could still trust them with benevolent uh, goals for us. So I mm. think, it, 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 to me, this is a, a trend you see in the New Age movement. That's why they're so closely related. In fact, when I spoke at that... Uh, UN and World Council of Churches conference last summer, uh, the UFO religion was a major part of this New Age uh, meeting that the UN sponsored uh, because uh, it, it allows a comfort in being able to take uh, what they understand to be science and evolution and merge a spirituality along with it, but it's all rebellion. Uh, yeah. You could take people in other world religions, and from what they've been told, they are trying to pursue God and understand God in the limits of what they've been exposed to, of his nature. But but you take these type of religions uh, who have already been exposed to the truth of the gospel, 
but it's willful rebellion against that. A rebellion away from accountability to God, accountability for your actions, uh, that there are judgments to be made for the actions that we take. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think you're really right in that that's why there's an appeal and that's why they look for any kind of excuse to, uh, to shake the foundations uh, of the Bible because it is a willful rebellion that's, that's underway. However, what do you think about this whole issue of these reports of ETs and contacts? Uh, what, what is, is there an alternative explanation you have other than it being just uh, total mass hallucination, particularly those incidents that are really hard to debunk? Uh, what, yeah. what, what is your view of what's really causing this, if anything, and, and why do you think it's superior to other explanations? Sure. Well, perhaps uh, let me explain. I, I mentioned the organization I work for, Creation Ministries International. We have a lot of scientists, majority of them with PhDs, and so they, we tend to apply very, very much scientific rigor, if you like, to all these things, even though you know people might say, well, hang on, how can you say that? You believe that the Earth's only 6,000 years old. Yeah, I do, and... <laughs> We, 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 we can, if you like, demonstrate the science to show you that belief system. Uh, but evolution is just as much a belief system. So when I first approached this whole UFO phenomenon, one of the reasons I wanted to write the book was my own experiences growing up as a young atheist. Uh, I very, very much was enamored with, you know, the, the movie Star Wars. And one that I think had the greatest impact on me was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I can remember, uh, you're old enough to remember the drive-in movies, guys. Oh, I, can remember, I can remember driving home from the drive-in down a very lonely country road, uh, actually wishing that they would land and take me away. And I, I remember looking back, of course, I'm a Christian now, but why did I think like that? You see, ultimately, I was looking for meaning and purpose to life. So I thought, you know, I was aware that this was a subject that the church was not embracing. I was aware that there would be millions of people out there who've been influenced in the same way, would have those same beliefs as I had when I was a young person. And I thought, we really need to do something because this this whole area of UFOs is based upon this evolutionary worldview. That's at, that's at the bottom of it. So when I approached the subject, you know, there was this whole area of area abduct, of alien abductions and the sightings and people accounting for alleged visitations. So the reason I mention all that by way of background is I actually started off, if you like, as a skeptic in that area. I believed that my investigations would lead me to the conclusion that they were mass hallucinations, psychological delusions from people desiring to be visited by aliens, etc., something like that. But I was really confronted with what I found because, you know, when you start to interview lots of people, they can't all be watching the same science fiction movies. <laughs> right. You know, how, how is it? How is it? Somebody in Brazil, or or Italy, or I think I wrote in my book book. I use the explanation. How can a lawyer in Lancashire have the same you know episodes as a uh, a barrister in Brisbane or something like this? Uh, you know, well educated, learned people having exactly the same experience. I mean, you've heard of something called the, the CAS, you know, the classic abduction syndrome, mm -hmm. where, if, if you like, they use those eight markers, and typically an abduction event never tends to fall outside of those types of parameters. And very early on, I, it was amazing, uh, very early on in my research, I, we got a phone call in the office from a lady who was saying, look, I don't know where else to turn. I've been to three separate churches, but my daughter believes 
that she's being abducted by aliens in the middle of the night. And uh, two people I went to said, look, she's demonically possessed. The third church said she's basically just a, a nutcase, you know. Uh, you need to go and get psychological help. But she said she has such detail in her stories that something's going on and I don't know what to believe. Now, this, you know, I was fairly a bit of a newbie at the time. So I went out to meet her. I found out she was actually a doctor working in a local hospital. And I sat down and I said, well, you know, using the CAS, I said, um, has she been told that she's special? Has she been given a mission? Uh, has she received messages of a religious nature? And she's nodding her head. And, of course, then I hit her with the bombshell. I said, have there been encounters of a sexual nature? And I'll, to this day, I never forget her reaction because, obviously, that was something that she was frightened or too ashamed to tell me about. And her jaw virtually hit the ground, and she said, how could you know that? And I said, well, if, what, if what's happening to your daughter is the same as what I believe is happening to you know millions of people around the world um, it, it, it's you know these are common events so I was very very much confronted with it by myself now I don't believe mm. that they are aliens I don't believe that it's within the realms of physical science that is knowable and understandable to us aliens to visit from a galaxy far far away have to defy the very laws of physics that govern our universe. And I know some people say, oh, well, in the future, Gary, they'll develop anti-gravity craft and all this type of stuff. And I know people have been experimenting that area. But to travel faster than the speed of light in, within our known universe can't be done. You've, you know, right. and I don't care what technology right. people might think that you can advance in the future. It's impossible. You know, we see about 150 UFO sightings every day. 95% of them can always be explained as, you know, natural phenomena, lenticular clouds or something like that, or as uh, man-made phenomena. You know, sometimes they could be aircraft or satellites that people mm -hmm. interpret because we've all been enculturated, if you like, to believing in, in UFOs and alien spaceships. But there's a small percentage, like uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek said, you know, that cannot be explained. And Hynek used words like, you know, that change shape, they morph. How can a nuts and bolts spacecraft, you know, flying at thousands of kilometers an hour, merge or morph with another spacecraft uh, and become one object? So these things, he said, they, they, they look as if they're paranormal or paraphysical. Now, as a Christian, with a Christian worldview, I might usually use the same words mm -hmm. but describe them as something supernatural because the Bible tells us that there is a supernatural aspect to our existence. There is, if you like, another dimension. Right. And we've had a visitor from that dimension. If you remember, Jesus stood before Pilate and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. The Bible says that there are very, very powerful beings that live in that realm called angels. And the idea that people have of angels, again, my subject in my research into the whole UFO phenomenon has changed my view of angels. The typical cultural view of angels is these ethereal spirit beings with, you know, some sort of feathery right. angelic or, you know, some wings or something like that. But actually, the Bible never describes them as that. Whenever they appear, they appear as men. They're powerful. They appear physically. Three angels sat down with Abraham uh, and, and, and ate food. Now, I often say and challenge Christians and say, if they ate food, does that mean they had stomach organs and digestive tracts? 
where did the clothes come from that they were wearing? And even the Lord Jesus himself, when he was resurrected, he said right. to Thomas, put your finger here, your hand here. He didn't put his hand into some sort of ghostly spirit being. Jesus was physical, and yet that same resurrected Lord was able to manifest himself in the room with the disciples. He didn't walk through walls. He didn't walk through walls, as a lot of people think. The Bible doesn't say that. And then later he sat down on the shores of Galilee and ate fish. So what I believe, if you like, if the spiritual realm, as it's often described, mm -hmm. is also a physical realm, and those beings have the ability to manifest, if you like, within our dimension, but we can't go the other way. Mm -hmm. And the Bible tells us why. Why? Because we are living in this cursed and corrupt world. Death has entered our realm. The Bible says in, in the twinkling of, a, of a, an eye, we will be transformed from perishable, which, which is physical, to imperishable, which I still think is physical, but it's imperishable. Well, and in the when, Bible says in, have when, a mansion in heaven too. So I, right. I don't think I'm going to need a mansion if I'm just going to be some <laughs> sort of ghost, uh, ethereal spirit being. Well, one of the most amazing verses also says, Behold, I'm making all things new. So yeah. we're going to have lots of new surprises when we get there. We're at the end of the road here on the on the interview, and I want to thank you so much for a fascinating talk. If you'd be willing to come back sometime in the future, I'd like to take some of these these uh, pieces, these elements we've had, and explore them in greater depth uh, in the future. But I want to tell our listeners that uh, you will be one of the fantastic speakers that are going to be at the Ancient of Days Conference, the Christian Symposium on ET, uh, aliens, and Bible in the Bible. And talking about the Bible, Bible prophecy, and what Christian answers and responses can we give. Uh, you, you're used to giving that answer for the issues of creation, our origins. And we're extending the same answers in the Bible uh, into this phenomena. Maybe even it has an end days application. But I'm really looking forward to hearing you speak. I hope our listeners get a chance to make the trek to Roswell. If for some reason you cannot, to be sure and get the DVDs. Uh, but I want to ask in closing, if you could tell our listeners how they can keep up with your ministry. Uh, and uh, be able to order materials related to the research that you and your group does. Sure. Well, on uh, the end of this month, uh, I think 21st of June, I fly to the States, but I'm not only be speaking at Roswell. I'll be speaking, I think, mainly across some of the southern states while I'm there. Uh, so they can uh, look at our website, creation.com, click on the events page and they'll see where not only myself but our other speakers are speaking around the country so they might be able to get along to some of our meetings but um, they can keep up to date by purchasing uh, for example Creation Magazine online that's posted to you quarterly and that keeps up if you like with the latest claims and the latest developments mm -hmm. to help Christians uh, be equipped to provide answers in this particular area. I have to say I'm delighted to go along to the Ancient of Days conference. Um, I've known a few of the guys there, but only by email or by telephone conversations. It'll be great to catch up uh, with folks like yourself. And I'm just so glad to see Christians um, addressing this area. And, you know, the Bible, the Bible is, is, not, is an ancient book, but it's still as relevant today. It's, if you like, it's the history book of the universe. But I'd like to point out, unlike any other history book, this one tells us the future. So it's still relevant for today. And as we, as I mentioned before, we see culture and society changing. Well, the Bible is relevant, and it can actually still provide answers in this whole area of this UFOs and alien abductions scenario. So mm -hmm. that's why people should be involved and should get in, interested in this information. That's right. And you'll find this issue, like all others, works its way back to the center point 
uh, of, of history and time, and that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, you're certainly welcome to come back on our show. We hope you enjoyed the experience, and it's been a pleasure for us. I know our, our listeners learned a lot from it, and I certainly want to invite you back. If you don't mind, we're going to put your link up uh, along with the archive show here at futurequake.com. And uh, we'd like for you to come back and uh, keep us posted with new developments. Okay, Dr. Future, Tom Bionic, over and out. It's been a pleasure to, to have our distinguished guest from Australia. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. That's it, guys. Take care. We're back at the Future Quake show with Dr. Future. And Tom, still not sure who he is, Bionic. All right. Well, we might like whoever you are instead of the n- normal Tom I Bionic. I am not a crook. We could hopefully improve. <laughs> Preview. Uh, that was the conclusion of our discussion. We finally got into mm-hmm. the discussion on the UFO aspect, which is what he will focus on at the Ancient of Aches mm-hmm. conference in Roswell. And uh, here's a gentleman from another side of the world, scientist in his own field in creationism, mm-hmm. coming to a very similar conclusion to other guests that we've had from mm-hmm. all different parts, is that there is probably some kind of demonic, supernatural origin to the UFO phenomenon as opposed to people coming from Alpha Centauri. Well, gosh, you know... You know, folks, this may not be this may not be something that particularly gets you know gets you going right now, but just put it in the back of your mind because you probably are going to need it later. That's right, and uh, I would recommend you check out his information on the creationism, particularly understanding what we're going to have shoved down our throats in the days ahead about our origins, mm-hmm. uh, and the ET part may be a part of it. But speaking of ETs, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We're way over. Let's get That's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, come back for tomorrow's Tremors tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, not afraid to tell it like it is, Bionic. I'm sure glad you're that way. Uh, Are you uh, willing and able to tell our listeners, our Futurians, what today is being Friday? It is definitely trash day, first of all. We've got to get that out of the way. You should not refer to our listeners that way. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute, Uh, I'm supposed to be the funny one. I'm supposed to Uh, uh, no, today is our literal fulfillment of uh, the first couple of verses there in Psalm 2. It's tomorrow's tremors, or today's review of the future's news. I know, that's the whole point. Just like all this stuff is going on, prophecy is being fulfilled in front of our eyes, so we need to talk about it. Right. I, for one, am glad that we're still broadcasting after a very controversial show last week. Yeah. And... um we were a little concerned about how a lot of our mainstream Christian listeners would respond to the mm-hmm. Linda Moulton House show. Yeah. And I was relieved to find out that at least many of our listeners who emailed us found that they uh, sort of got on the wavelength of what we were trying to fish for, mm-hmm. of information. 
and were willing to consider the source and take it for what it was. Yeah, I'm very thankful for them. Uh, I breathe a sigh of relief. Our listeners well. trust us and uh, know where we're coming from. I I breathe a sigh of relief. And we take that very seriously, listeners. We're very thankful for you. Uh, we will have more controversial topics in the future. We yeah. figure if we don't future controversy. Well, if we don't, who's <laughs> going to do it? Who's going to talk There's about this stuff if we don't? Controversy around every road. Da, 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 okay, da. is that your spin on the future yeah. quake theme? Okay. My head yeah. is waiting to explode. Yeah, that's Too our much listeners. Info <laughs> in my brain. Uh, how about giving them a little bit of the word? You 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 uh, referred to a passage, and let me just say this real quick before we get into our stories. Um, this is something we have been sometimes confronted by dear friends of ours, Christian brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Who, when we'll have certain topics about what's going on with uh, different nations doing stuff or behind the scenes when they're mm-hmm. doing things behind the scenes and misleading the public and, and they're really involved in, in things that look draconian about us, they'll say, well, we're not into that uh, conspiracy theory stuff or that yeah, black helicopter stuff. I actually stuff. had somebody laugh in my face at lunch because I told them that we as Christians needed to be concerned about the Federal Reserve because they're robbing everybody. Stealing, yeah, which yeah. God hates. Yeah, they're stealing and using false weights and measures, and they just laughed and laughed and laughed and said, "You crazy!" You but there are many Christians about. who tell us, uh, "Well, this is just a black helicopter conspiracy theory stuff." Yeah, you don't need stuff. to touch that stuff. You just got to be in the Word. And what I'd like for us to share, not to take much of our news time here, but just to give you a little idea, food for thought, of mm-hmm. how we need to really look at this from what the Bible says, mm-hmm. uh, rather than our own thinking. You, you, you can read read a couple of verses there from Psalm 2 and, well, and explain well, why you think that's relevant to this issue. Okay. Well, typically Psalm 2, uh, commentators think that it has to do with, A, the Middle East War, or B, uh, they talk it about being sort of prophetic towards Jesus' ministry. Uh, I, however, interpret that a little bit differently, uh, and kind of the linchpin there, without getting too deep into it, is uh, the second verse that says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Because that's exactly what this whole New World Order conspiracy mm-hmm. is about. They're trying to get rid of the old way of doing mm-hmm. things. Trying the to get... Lord and his anointed Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Trying to get rid of all of that stuff. And possibly even our extension. Because, in fact, we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God, too. Oh, so absolutely. representatives of earth, we represent. Absolutely. Now, people try and, typically commentators, the ones that I've read, time, try and tie this into uh, uh, the idea that uh, the Lord, this, this has something to do with his ministry. You know, because mm-hmm. uh, verse 7, I think, says, This day I have begotten thee. However, then it goes on to talk about the heathen. And Jesus really went to the Jews first. And then later the Gentiles went, or yeah. Gentiles went, the, then the later the apostles went to the to heathen. It was even a big deal there in, in right. Acts uh, 7, mm-hmm. maybe? 9. Sorry. Okay. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Okay. I'll be quiet now. Well, um... What, what's what's implicit in that second verse of Psalm 2 about, you know, and that's the passage of why do the heathen rage and things like that, is the fact one is they know who Jesus, they know who God is, mm-hmm. they know who Jesus is, and knowing that, they still conspire together against them. And even that even that word that, the, oh, it looks like you just pulled it up here, mm-hmm. uh, ragash, which means to rage, right. carries the implication of it of to conspire or plot. <laughs> 
That sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. Oh, we, no, you're conspiracy. What do you, we don't need to touch them conspiracy theories. We're going to have to cut Psalm 2 out of the Bible because it says the nations are in a conspiracy theory against Jesus. Yeah, well, they talk about the same thing in Ezekiel, I believe. We don't We don't have time to talk about that kind of crazy talk here, except yeah. that the Bible does and God yeah, is the well, one. Yeah, well, it's interesting that the word that they, they... It must be annoying that you clicking around on that little Bible mm-hmm. stuff because the vain thing talks about it being empty or idle. Right. You know, that's funny. Why do they concede these things? Now, I'd like to just comment on a passage that has really resonated with me, particularly over the last few shows we've done and submitted to me. When when people say, uh, why should Christians be worried about these conspiracy theories about what our governments are doing? And, and you know, that's taken us away from, from we gotta prophecy. Be, you're just not in the Word enough. Just keep you're our just eye, not in the Word. Let's keep our eyes set on what's going on in the Middle East and nowhere else, and all that other stuff will work itself out. When I look at in Revelation 18, the great city, Babylon, uh, it uh, it says that Babylon, it, it pronounces the falling, the eventual falling, uh, which is right at the end of the last days, uh, right before Armageddon and the conclusion of things. It says, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and become a habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So whatever this Babylon is, it is a, whether geographical or if you have a broader view of it, it's at its core demonic spirits. Hmm. It's, it, it may have a physical manifestation through mm-hmm. people and through systems and governments and organizations, but what's pulling the strings are these foul and unclean spirits. Mm-hmm. It's uh, interesting they use the word bird there to talk about unclean spirits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. But then, you know, it says that the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through her delicacies. So we actually have the state, mm-hmm. and we also have the the merchant class. And if you look up that word for merchant, it's not your average guy who's out there selling no, it's carpet. like a banker. It is international travelers. In yeah. fact, it particularly says those who travel great distances. Mm-hmm. So it, basically, I think they're talking about globalists. They're talking about these international financiers that are globetrotters that are going around the world, controlling their empire. You're just not spreading in the word. Babylon. You're just not in the word. <laughs> spreading Babylon everywhere. They're conspiring, and they have evil spirits that the Bible says are actually controlling what they're doing. You're just not in the Word enough. But, you know, it would be one thing for people to say, okay, so maybe all that stuff's true. Maybe what you all talk about on your show, about the the evil spirits that these people say that they respond to, we've mentioned many times about it. Uh, But then it says uh, there's a command in here. You don't see a whole lot of commands in Revelation. Mm -hmm. It says in Revelation 18.4, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not her plagues. Wow. So it's it's not it's not just the fact that well this is going to happen you know keep your head low you know it'll yeah. all be all right come out there's a command that we're supposed to do and mm. the command is get out of Babylon mm. now the question I have is what is Babylon and two how do we how get, do out, we of get out of it I would say that would be an issue that would be good for a lot of us to spend a lot of time talking about you know we should have a roundtable discussion with some people I don't know how I don't I have no immediate answers for that how how many prophecy writers do you see spend a whole lot of time talking about how do we get up out of Babylon and Absolutely and zero. what is it you just I need mean, to be more in the word we got to go nuke Iran. there are 
There are a few people like Norm Franz. Thessalonians 7. You know, Norm Franz and a few others that talk about the dishonest weight and measures, and they, uh-huh. they sort of get around it. People like Tom Horn give a picture mm-hmm. of it. Even even Chris Pinto uh, yeah. brings a lot of it together. Yeah. But this is a command. Yeah. You know, the, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really get something controversial here, and people are going to get after me. The Bible doesn't give us any command on what we're supposed to do about the Middle East. Doesn't say anything we're supposed to well, do. What, what about they know in, what's going on? What about in Third Thessalonians where it says we need to nuke Iran? Is that that letter we didn't have? Yeah. It doesn't say it, we do anything. God is at work. God says it's written. Things are going to happen yeah. there. What God says is to get out of Babylon. Hmm. Get out of it. You know, and don't be partakers of her sins. Uh, it's in Third Delorean, man, that we need to nuke Iran. <laughs> what? What? Can you think of some other commands got related? Babel. What? Are, what are some other commands God gives related to prophetic scripture that we're supposed to do something with? Well, that's a leading question, so I'll let you answer it. Is there any that you come to mind? Not immediately. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Sorry. I'll give you two. Okay. One is watch. Okay. Okay. Yeah, right. watch. Yeah, watch. Watch for these things happening, including the things that we're not told to do something about. But watch. Redemption draws nigh. We have a lot of evangelical brethren that say, "Oh, it, I'm a I'm a pan millennialist. It'll all pan out at the end. Mm-hmm. Why waste our time doing that? We need to do other things which are virtuous, like sharing the gospel, mm-hmm. doing these other kind of things. But the fact of the matter is, the Lord commanded us to watch, and to watch and be prepared for when He comes. Mm-hmm. The second one that comes to mind is that we are supposed to watch out for false teaching. And false teaching and great deception is coming. And one thing we try to do on this show is to focus on the, the different manifestations and nature of that deception that makes its way through all sorts of things. Our religion, uh, our, our uh, other spiritual thing, our science talk, our educational system. You keep talking like that, you're going to have people like start questioning all sorts of stuff about you. Well, You're just not in the Word. Well, you know, this is from the word that I'm talking about. <laughs> I know, this I know. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm overplaying and, that. And joke. just in conclusion, we'll get on with our news. I'd just like to close this off and say um, that uh, it says in Revelation 18:23 the, de- uh, the destruction of the great city Babylon. It says, "For thy merchants were the great men of the earth." And it, the implication of those words, it was like the really powerful celebrity. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And by thy sorceries were all the nations deceived. And the word for sorceries used there is pharmakia. They use drugs, and they use means such as these drugs to communicate with spirits, to get information directly demonically, and then the net effect is they're able to deceive the nations. So when we talk about Bohemian Grove, and we talk about all the powerful merchants of the earth, we talk about the kings of the earth, Going there, yeah. they do sacrifices in front of these things. Who mm-hmm. knows what they take or ingest? When we yeah. talk about them manipulating our food supply, we talk about them putting drugs out there that impact how we view things on the sure. other side. This is this is Bible. This is what the, God says to look for this stuff because this is what's happening. Well, just to play, just to continue with my sort of sophomore joke, it depends on. Depends on what Bible you're reading. Your Bible's funny. Well, I don't what, remember this, those passages. This funny one is the King James Bible I'm reading from here. Okay? Uh, and that's the King James Bible. So next time somebody tells you, well, that's a conspiracy theory. I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear about the Bible. Well, then you just cut Revelation 18 out of your Bible. Yeah, and Revelation? You, cut, you cut Psalm 2 out oh, of your I Bible. Psalm 2. Let's get rid of Psalm 2. Because the Bible says this is what is happening. Ezekiel. Get rid of Ezekiel. And if you don't know this is happening, how are you supposed to know how to get out of Babylon? And uh, listeners, if you have some thoughts on this that you would like to email us about, we would like to know what you think about what we just said. Yeah. And also, if you agree with us, 
What do you think Babylon is? What is the scope yeah. of Babylon in our world, and how do you recommend getting out of it? Yeah, you know, that's a great thing. Let's um, Maybe we'll start a thread up at World of Prophecy. How to get out of Babylon? It would be wonderful. Yeah. I would like to see. And one thing, I, once once we get Roswell uh, trip over, and we've had this theme of the UFO based thing, mm-hmm. um, I want to uh, get some more shows that are positive shows about some people that have some ideas yeah. well, on how to get out of Babylon, and there'll be some creative things. Open it up. May not be as much it. of the spooky stuff. Yeah. But I'm thinking about people like Henry Lamb. Who I was, was on say, our show. Opening up a bank account there at the. Freedom 21 may be a good first start. Get out of the dishonest weights and measures of our current Babylon financial system, for example. Yeah, there you go. Uh, It may affect your employment. It may affect uh, your living circumstances. What employment? Well, (laughs) good point. No, that's Uh, true. My boss is awesome. Enough preaching, but I'm just glad I got that off my chest. Yeah, I'm glad you did too, man. I try and just sort of, when those questions come up, I try and roll my eyes and not make a scene. But is I'm, that right? I'm getting increasingly... Well, you can always vent on the radio. They're not here looking at us. I know. They don't listen. Yeah, and they could be right pounding right. the radio right now and... I, I, yeah. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, well, there so, you go. Sorry. Hey, I've got something related to this. Dude, sort of weird. lay it on us. Okay. This is, okay, this is not under New World Order. This is not under Conspiracy Theory. This is under Revelation 18, City Babylon There stuff. you go. Okay. Uh, author claims David Carradine's father was Ordo Templi Orientis member. Now, you remember David Carradine, the actor? Yep. Was just found dead in an apartment in uh, Thailand? Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Uh, but he was um, it's very strange. He he was tied up, and he there were some bizarre things. Yeah, that, well, I thought, I thought I heard on Geraldo's show even that they said that it couldn't have been a suicide. Could not believe it was yeah. suicide. But there were some things that were ritualistically done to him, things that had a sexual connotation and some other kind of stuff oh, that were really strange that... Um, not, not to say further, but it's something that's bizarre and sick. And yeah. at first they tried to to say that he was into crazy kind of stuff. And well, I don't know anything like about a, that, but they now saying it's not suicide. But now here may be a, a key piece to like it. like a Jack Parsons thing. And this, well, here, here's, here's part of it. Now, if you remember, uh, David Carradine uh, was the big star of the show Kung mm-hmm. Fu, uh, television show. Oh, I watched Shane it when Kane. I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it all the time. Uh, Kill Bill movie series yeah. was on that more recently. His dad, John Carradine, uh, probably one of the most prolific actors in the history of American cinema. And more, no. I don't know really? how many hundreds of movies. Uh, I mean, what a commanding presence on TV. Always a sinister, deep-voiced gentleman. A lot of your horror movies and things like that. Always uh-huh. this menacing presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, a real striking figure. Um this this is a story it says in a response to a review of his book Blood on the Altar, the secret history of the world's most dangerous secret society, author Craig Heimbichner mentions several prominent members of Ordo Templi Orientis, the Order of the Temple of the East, or the Order of the Oriental Templars, including John Carradine, father of the recently deceased David Carradine, who allegedly planned to investigate and disclose secret societies. Now, David Carradine, they did say this in several major newswires, that he was on an, a mission to try to disclose what was going on in these secret societies. I remember hearing that, actually. He was writing a book or a documentary or something, something like that. That's right. Yeah. And and then had this, this bizarre ending. It says, Martin P. Starr, author of The Unknown God, W.T. Smith and the Thelemites, also claims, or Thelemites, also claims the elder Carradine was a member of Aleister Crowley's co-Masonic Ordo Templi Orientis. Oh, from the Abbey Thelema. 
Uh huh. Which, which, yeah. which this o- OTO is always like a foundational group that all of these occult figures that come up discussed on our show. Yeah. They always have a tour there at this OTO, yeah. sort of their launching ground. Uh, it says, uh, uh, in the book Sex and Rockets, the occult world of Jack Parsons, John Carter and Robert Anton Wilson write wow. that Carradine is said to have read poetry at the opening of the Agape Lodge of the OTO in Pasadena, California, where Jack Parsons was. Huh. Called himself Antichrist. OTO draws from the traditions of the Freemasonic, Rosicrucian, and Illuminist movements of the 18th and 19th centuries, the Crusading Knight Templars of the Middle Ages, and early Christian Gnosticism and the Pagan Mystery Schools. It originated in Germany or Austria between 1895 and 1906. Its apparent founder was Karl Kellner, a wealthy Austrian industrialist and high-grade mason. Anglo-German tantric occultist Theodore Royce took control of the OTO after Kellner's death. Royce was involved with the Bavarian Order of Illuminati and was also the Grand Master of the Swedenborgian Rite of Freemasonry in Germany. He admitted the English occultist Aleister Crowley to the order in 1910 and appointed him as the National Grand Master General of the Great Britain and Ireland chapters. Uh, in June 6, Infowars reported on the comments made by CNN correspondent Jerry Pinnacoli on the Larry King Show. Pinnacoli said the death of John Carradine's son was abnormal, the death was not natural, and that the actor was very interested in investigating and disclosing secret societies. Carradine was found dead last week in a Bangkok luxury oh, hotel yeah. suite. Uh, Carradine's brother Keith met with the FBI Friday to encourage a federal probe, according to family attorney Mark Garrigus. Man, that's heavy stuff. I thought that was... Yeah. These are the kings of the earth... Apropos. ...that are conspiring with the unclean spirits. Yeah, well, we shouldn't look the at sorcery. that. You don't look at that. Don't avoid yeah, Revelation 18. Don't. Yeah. Shit. Nope. Shit. Nope. Nope. Okay. Shit. Do you want to talk about another person flitting around with these groups? Yeah, I know what you're going to read. Hit it. Okay. Uh, this is uh, Judge Sonia Sotomayor... Uh, who, as you know, is being considered for Supreme Court. Did you know 75% of her rulings have been overturned? I guess that's sort of a bad thing you would for think, a Supreme Court yeah, nominee. It's like, ah, oh, you can't, you're 20-25% of what you I mean, say I don't is think actual Earth, law. I don't Let's think, promote her. <laughs> I don't think Ernest T. Bass would have that many overturned if he were yeah, a judge. probably not. Um, Supreme Court nominee Sonia Sotomayor last year accepted an invitation to join the Belizean Grove, an elite but little-known women's-only group. Founded nearly 10 years ago as the female answer to the Bohemian Grove, a secretive all-male club whose members have included former U.S. presidents and top business leaders, the Belizean Grove has about 125 members, including Army generals, Wall Street executives, and former ambassadors. Can you explain what this, if we have some new listeners that aren't aware, Mm -hmm. what its other primary organization, uh, Bohemian Grove, does? Interesting. I have the mission statement right here. Would you like me to read it? Well, Bohemian Grove. Tell them about Bohemian Grove. Bohemian Grove, Grove, um, for our new listeners, you might find this interesting. Bohemian Grove, uh, which I have actually been to the front gate of. It's a real place. uh, It's a real place in Monterey, California. You go there, uh, all the uh, head politicians and actors and musicians and Policymakers and scientists, all the all the leaders of the world meet there in July, worship a big giant stone owl, and according to none other than Richard Nixon's, and I, I need to say this delicately, uh, engage in uh, uh, we'll just say homosexual acts. Right. By by period. his own admission. By his own admission. Richard Nixon, yes. who was there. 
Yes. And also there have been articles, mm-hmm. key articles and magazines Spy that have magazine, confirmed that. Yeah, I think Time did a brief mm-hmm. thing. Right. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a great documentary out there called Dark Secrets in Bohemian Grove that you might check out. And it, you can even sneak over to YouTube before you get it, and you can actually see people who snuck in the place, mm-hmm. watched the ceremony in front mm-hmm. of this huge got, stone owl. Got video of it. Yeah. People with dark robes and cloaks with mm-hmm. torches yep, doing this thing. simulated offer of yeah. a body. In front of a 40-foot giant faux stone owl. Presidents from both parties. Every president figures Harding has been a member of this thing. Uh, all your key political attended. figures of both parties, mm-hmm. all your top industrialists, mm-hmm. your your international government figures, all your top bankers go to it. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like the, the, the kings and the merchants of the earth uh, come together and cavort with unclean spirits to deceive the world. Yeah, but we shouldn't pay attention to that. <laughs> okay, let me just summarize okay, go, this and you'll go, get, go get out of this. Yeah. Um, she, she accepted an invitation last year to join Belizean Grove, an elite but little-known women's group. Uh her membership in the New York-based group became public Thursday afternoon in a questionnaire submitted to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Since then, the group has been deluged with press calls that its founder, uh, Susan Stotberg, who explained uh, that uh, that they like to be under the radar screen. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. The group on its website dedicates itself as a constellation of influential women who are key decision makers in the profit, nonprofit, and social sectors. In other words, who call the shots on this earth. Mm-hmm and build long-term, mutually beneficial relationships under the uh, cover of secrecy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my addition. Uh, to uh, to both take charge of their own destinies and help others do the same. What don't you tell them what it says there, what this is all uh, about? Here is the introduction and background on the mission statement. The Belizean Grove is a constellation of influential women who are key decision makers in the profit, non-profit, and social sectors uh, who build long-term, mutually beneficial relationships in order to to both take charge of their own destinies and to help others do the same. There's an echo in here. Sounds similar, yeah. Yeah. Having observed <laughs> observed the power of the Bohemian Grove, a 130-year-old elite boys network of former presidents, businessmen, military, musicians, academics, and nonprofit leaders, and realizing that women didn't have a similar organization, Susan Stoutberg and 26 other founding members created the Belizean Grove, a constellation of influential women who are building, you know, long-term mutually beneficial relationships. Members are highly accomplished leaders in a wide ven- in a wide venue of fields, are dedicated to giving back to their communities, and have a sense of humor and excitement about life, and are willing to mentor and share connections. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, except that uh, uh, you're, you're, you're not able to go to the meetings. There's nothing yeah. bad going on here, except nobody's allowed to go or mention who went. Yeah, or, and, and, uh, they, it says right here that they are uh, help. They do help pursue, help women pursue uh, their more significant dreams, ambitions, purposes, transcendence, and help with spiritual fulfillment. That, Lucifer does that, doesn't he? Didn't he help Faust with that same goal? Well, he sure. They sure. Uh, uh, you could sure make a case that they do that at Bohemian Grove with the uh, owl worship and whatnot. Well, we and that's what this is. That. That's what this is supposed yeah. to uh, to match, correct? Yes. Yes. A year ago, nobody, most anybody didn't know her. Mm-hmm. And so they invite her to this. And all with all the decision makers, she comes up out of the blue, yeah. just like Bill Clinton was invited to mm-hmm. meetings like Bilderberg meeting. Mm-hmm. And even, even though 75% of her court cases have been overturned by higher courts, now she's getting a ride to the to the big bench. But she's connected with the right people. Yeah, there you go. Well, I'll tell you, somebody else who's connected with the right people is our friend Merv, who... 
hopefully he's just not back from Bohemian Grove. Yeah. Uh, Merv, why don't you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're getting the last 30 seconds or so. Right, I know man. we didn't get to a lot of stories. Sorry if I dominated stuff. No, we, it's cool. It's, it's you know, we talk about this stuff off the air a lot, and I'm just tired I'm of it. I'm glad we drew a line on the sign here. Yeah. I mean, you talked about Psalm 2. I talked about Revelation 18. There are more passages that are like that. Well. If you if you want back of, of, of Revelation 18, go read uh, Isaiah 47. It'll tell you the exact same thing, including mm-hmm. the sorcery, the, yep. the, the, the cavorting with unclean spirits that these merchants and that these others do. Yeah. To be where they are. Yeah, well, we need to get out of here. Get out of Babylon, everybody. Uh, we're going to try to find it. Send us some information on what you think, what we can do, mm-hmm. and we want to make this a place to obey the Lord's command in Revelation to do that. Yeah. And yeah. until then, uh, we'll have a great guest tomorrow, or excuse me, on Monday. But until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Crowding out old realities There's revolution Sweeping it like a fresh new